Blog Talk Radio. Come back home to Africa. Come back home 
Greetings, greetings, and welcome to another powerful edition of Revolutionary Voodoo, New Orleans Hoodoo Secrets and Recipes. This just might be one for the books. Call a friend, call a, a, a friend of me, <laughs> call a family member, come on in, come on in. Ilegwana, Kosi, Wary, Awo, Olo, Uto, Neiwo, Ada, Afanbo, Osi, Obatalami, Ita, Ebo, Onilio, Abane, Shu. Eshu is the respected elder who flogs, confronts, and uncovers fools that one versed in mysteries uses truth to own you. He causes scatter to feed poverty. Obatala shakes rascals to have sacrifice. The owner of warnings is the one who is Eshu. Aboru, Aboye, Aboshishe, Ashe, Ma'ebo, Richorun, Ma'ebo be accepted. May our ever allow what we desire to come to pass. And so we say, Ashe, and Ashe, oh, Ashe. Just call me the stone that the builder refused. <laughs> Sharing with you in all things spiritual, mystical, metaphysical, cosmic, universal, evolutionary, revolutionary, healing, and holistic from a Pan-African hoodoo, world spiritualist perspective. Understanding that all is truly and indeed a blessing. If you can just see beyond the veils, for it is all just an illusion and a test and one of the greatest divine mysteries of this life cycle. It is indeed my constant prayer, my mantra, affirmation, reverberation, my reiteration, and it is my ever-living reality. It is crucial to the very foundation of my understanding, my walk, my teachings, my work, my demonstration along this divine, all-blessed life path and journey. And it is how I, the divine prince, make sense out of all that we are challenged with here in our daily existence on Mother Father Earth. Indeed, the place from where I begin, the place from where I realize and crystallize all my endeavors, Understanding that I and I alone create and co-create my divine destiny, and I and I alone create and co-create my divine, all-blessed reality. And so it is, Ashe. Today is Tuesday, February 2nd, 2021, and I am emanating and vibrating with you and for you now live, virtually, verbally, cosmically, quantum universally from this working temple of the house of the divine prince. Thai Potions, Hoodoo Central LLC, in this legendary, historic, beautiful, and most enchanted city in America, New Orleans, Louisiana, the land of my ancestors and those who came before me along this hoodoo, obey a life path and journey, passing down the great obvious stick, along with the knowledge of the life-giving herbs, roots, plants, spirits, rituals, minerals, indeed our sacred stories. And please do schedule your RSVP, book your appointments and your tours at www.OurSacredStories.com. All is a blessing. Today I want to talk about the legacy, the culture, the tradition, our sacred story. But particularly legacy, legacy, legacy is a very powerful word, and, and 
often overused word without us really understanding the depth and the detail of what legacy is and what legacy means, particularly on this second day of a month where we acknowledge the legacy, if you will, in the history of African America, of Black America, and some would say, indeed, of America. Black history is American history. And so I want to talk about legacy. When we look up legacy in our Merriam-Webster, legacy can indeed be a gift, especially something like a money or inheritance, something that is bequeathed and passed down through the generations. Sometimes legacy is transmitted or received from an ancestor or a predecessor or from the past. Uh, adjective definition for legacy is of or relating to, associated with, or carried over from an earlier time, an earlier technology, an earlier business, an earlier cultural, ethnic nuance. For indeed, Ifa, Orisha, in the Americas, is a carryover, is, is a part of the legacy of Yoruba culture in West Africa. It has taken on a new form in the West. It, it has become Americanized in the West. It has become uh, Latinized in Cuba and in Puerto Rico. It has become um, uh, Brazilianized in Candable in Brazil. But indeed, it shares a root branch to a legacy that began in Nigeria among the Yoruba people. And often when we talk about legacy, and, and particularly in a month like this, uh, for those of you who don't acknowledge black history 365 days a year, I understand the importance of this month. I also understand the importance of it being documented and it being federalized and it being on the books for indeed the events of January 6th and the events of the last four years open up a greater discussion about what legacy is and our understanding of legacy. Racism is also a legacy. White supremacy is also a legacy that continues to be passed down generation to generation until that gatekeeper until that curse breaker decides to stand up and change things. Legacy is not something that's necessarily automatic. You don't necessarily become a diabetic just because your mother is a diabetic or your grandfather was a diabetic. Indeed, that legacy is present as a part of that DNA pool that's passed down to you. But in any given moment, just like we have the opportunity to create and recreate our reality in any given moment, each and every day, we also have an opportunity to write and rewrite legacy, not only for ourselves, for our families, for our communities, but for, indeed for all people of the world. Racism does not have to continue to be our legacy. White supremacy does not have to continue to be the legacy of America. And indeed, all the negative aspects of legacy, those things that we often don't talk about. We like to pump up Black History Month. We like to pump up those aspects 
of our legacy which make us feel good, which make us feel prideful, which give us something to celebrate. We acknowledge the Underground Railroad and, and the mighty conductor that Harriet Tubman was and that legacy. But do we indeed honor and acknowledge that legacy by carrying on the work, by continuing to free the enslaved? We acknowledge the great orator Frederick Douglass and the legacy that he has imprinted on the history of America and indeed black America. But do we live up to that legacy? Do we walk in that legacy? Do we demonstrate that legacy? And, and, and so there are many that we invoke, that we call out when we acknowledge the mighty shoulders of ancestors that we stand on. Christopher Addis, Paul Kofi, Carter G. Woodson, Denmark Bessie, Sojourner Truth, there's so many more, Nelson Mandela, Malcolm X, Marcus Garvey, that we acknowledge and placate as general ancestors, whether they're biologically connected to us or not. But we hope, uh, gratefully and wholly embrace their legacy as a part of our own. But what about that legacy that's kept quiet? What about that legacy that's kept secret? What about that negative legacy that is also passed down and continues to pass down from generation to generation? Listen, I understand many of my audience, many of my listeners, you already know me on Facebook. You already know me on Instagram. You know I am I'm no supporter of Q and, and the Q foolishness and, and, the, and the Q nonsense. And so I have to say that before I say what I'm going to say next. In, in my world, rapists, child molesters will be executed, will be executed. And those who protect, defend, cover up, kept it quiet, protected it, should be incarcerated. Should be incarcerated. There are indeed legacies of abuse, of trauma that continue to be passed down from generation to generation, along with white supremacy, along with slavery, along with various forms of, of, of drug abuse and addictive behaviors that must be ended, that must be deaded, that must be cut off at the root. And again, as we have the ability and the power to create and recreate our reality each and every moment of every day, you have an opportunity to end that negative legacy. You have an opportunity to end that negative generational curse with you, with you, with me. In this present moment in time space, I can't imagine the next generation seeing another January 6th. I can't imagine another generation still marching for our humanity, still marching against police brutality, still marching against abuses of power. I can't imagine. And right now, we've been detoured. By a great deal of foolishness. This last four years has been full of foolishness. Full of foolishness. And now we have this political theater that's working its way out, that's playing itself out right now in a time where we're in the midst of a great pandemic. A great pandemic. And some of you say, oh, it's 
population control. Be careful that you're not cute. <laughs> but some of you say, oh, it's population control. And, and indeed it is in regards to how it was handled in our last administration. Indeed it is and how it's being handled right now by your Republican officials who still cover their eyes and block their ears and cover their mouth. And that's when the trick of Eshu stands up. Oh, we, 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 we claim Eshu to be a great trickster. We claim Legba to be a great trickster. But you've heard me say before, the trick is ego. The trick is when you think you know, you think you got it, you think you understand, and you're not willing to rationalize, you're not willing to be open to wisdom, you're not willing to be open to mentorship and eldership, that's when Legba trips you up. That's when life trips you up. But when we're talking about a nation, a government, a people, a community, we have to step outside ourselves. We have to step outside our own needs, our own foolishness, our own desire for entertainment and, 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 and humor and feel good and really confront the issues that continue to haunt us as the legacy that is America, as the legacy that is white supremacy. I'm grateful for those of you that are here. I'm grateful for those of you that, that are in and out. But listen, as I said uh, during the pre-show, I'm going to do what I do. You don't have to like it. You don't have to listen to it. You don't have to stay here for it. But just know the chickens show up on your doorstep. The chickens show up to roost on your doorstep, America. On your doorstep, Democrat, Republican, Independent. On your doorstep, you individual who think you have nothing to do with politics, because you who stand in silence are just as responsible, are just as responsible. Let me get a little personal today. I said I wasn't going to do this, but I have to. I have to. I have a great degree of anger towards the Harrises, towards the Broomfields, towards those who stood back in silence while abuse took place, while rape and molestation took place, while I was a kid, 14, on the street, I hold a great deal of anger. And for a spiritualist, an all-is-a-blessing type spiritualist, to say he have anger, to say he's still dealing with, with madness, that might sound revolutionary to you. But until you can embrace and accept and acknowledge the anger, the madness, the sadness, the confusion, there is no healing. There is no healing. There is no moving forward. It's not a day that goes by that I don't dream about, imagine, just walking up and knocking on my dad's door. It's not a day that goes by that I don't imagine what I might want to do to him. How I might want to hurt him. How I wish to see really, really bad things happen to him. And there's some of you out there that, well, you're a voodoo priest. Work your magic. Okay, but voodoo is still governed by God and the Most High. See, that's where y'all get voodoo mixed up with witchcraft. 
and your evil and your ego and, and, and the trick. Because, see, ultimately, God is still in control. The ancestors are still in control. And our responsibility is to heal self first, then heal others, and then heal the greater society. But as long as we're walking around in denial, as long as we walk around with our heads over our, our, our eyes, our hands over our ears, our hands over our mouth, pretending like we didn't see, pretending like we don't get it, pretending like it don't touch me as long as my income is intact, as long as my career is intact, then I'm not going to politicize my Twitter. I, I see you. I see the great celebrities and the leaders in, in, in my community, many of which I have worked with, who remain silent during this madness, who are only concerned about posting your next hairdo, your next hair color, your latest tattoo, and you act like this doesn't touch you. You act like this doesn't show up on your doorstep. And that's why every now and then I, I catch a little bit of the Wendy Williams. <laughs> okay? And that's why y'all lives are full of so much drama and chaos and madness and addictive behaviors and imprisonment. Because no amount of success, no amount of success, no amount of wealth, no amount of prosperity can cover up shadow work, can cover up shadow work. And we as a nation have a great degree of shadow work to address. Welcome each and every one of you. Forgive me if I didn't call out names like I normally do. I'm in my feelings right now. <laughs> I'm in my feelings right now. Um, Alafia, Alafia, everyone, greetings, greetings. You know, it's a lot going on, and um, I, I just can't put it all out there. I, I don't have permission to put it all out there. But I will say, for, for you mothers, I stand with you. I stand with you, and particularly those single-headed households. Th those single black mothers single Hispanic mothers, single white mothers are often denigrated, judged, talked down to, treated like somehow just the fact that you are there raising your child, somehow you did something wrong. But I want to talk to the married mothers, the two-parented household. I came out of a two-parent household. I didn't come out of a quote-unquote broken home. I didn't grow up in the quote-unquote hood. I lived miles away from a project, never saw a project until I was grown. I'm talking to you. And it's often in those households that look good on the outside where the madness is going on on the inside. I, I, I get tired of catching someone calling out the single mother about who you allow your children around, what kind of boyfriends you let into the house. And indeed, that might be wisdom. But you married mothers are doing it too. You married fathers are doing it too. You church-going families are doing it sometimes the most. If it looks good, it smells good, they're driving a great car, they live in a nice suburb, you all ignore the madness, just like you ignored the white supremacy and the racism for four years, for four years. 
and you continue to do so because it's suited up and, and, and it's got D or R on its lapel and it's sitting in the great house that was not too long ago violated and put those same people at risk. But many of you have already fallen into let's move on, let's forget it, let's heal. And as the great politician uh, said in her, in her Instagram video, oh, please forgive me. I should have wrote her name down. You all know who I'm talking about. Um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. It all feels like a bad dream, a bad memory of trauma to me. It's the same thing you tell the abused child that's on the street at 14. It's your fault you're out here. Maybe you should have listened to your, your parents more. I had an aunt, one of my grandmother's sisters, tell me my dad should have beat me more. And, and maybe I would have been in a, in a different station in life. Yeah, I would have been in a different station in life. I would have been in prison. I would have been in prison. So it's important that while we celebrate legacy and we look to black history and we try and elevate and celebrate all those things that are nice, and cushy and sweet and sound good and taste good that we don't forget that just like there is no shadow work without light work, just like there is no light work without shadow work, we can't ignore the legacy that is America of white supremacy, of racism, of abuse, of, of a dominance, of homophobia, of, of sexual dominance, of, of men over women, over children, over the weak, over the innocent. We must acknowledge legacy as a 360-degree demonstration. Please hold. I got one cousin who always has to interrupt my show in the middle of the show. here that interrupts the show, <laughs> that calls in and interrupts the show. This is her, okay? <laughs> Merlin Kimball, baby dog, go bigger, baby dog, yeah. Yeah, all is a blessing. And I was on a real serious topic too, Merlin. I'm kind of thrown off now. Get back. It's, I, I will. It's going to take me a minute. Right, right. Greetings, y'all. Peace and blessings. Greetings, Marcus Art. Thank you for coming on in. Naima Cotton, welcome, beloved. Yes. Just Jimmy, thank you so much. 
Nia Lloyd, Nina Lloyd, thank you, thank you. Oh, it's a blessing. I won't say who you are right now, but I know who you are, Nina. Uh, yes, uh, Vanessa, the urban tarot goddess. Welcome, beloved. Welcome, welcome. I thank you all. I, I, I thank you all for being present and with me. I know I was a little bit worked up before I got to, to the door, but um, I'm going to need you to sit down. You, okay. you distracted me. No, I was about to leave. Okay. All is a blessing. Um, I was a bit worked up, um, as you can imagine. I, I can connect to um, Alex- Alexandria Acacia Cortez at, at many levels. And the way she mirrored her pain, her trauma, her past, her, ab- her abuse. Greetings, Bush baby. Um, yeah, that's my cousin, Merlene. Some of this local New Orleans, y'all know who Merlene is. <laughs> okay. Yeah. The way she, um, Cortez, just made that connection was so real for me. It was so real for me. A- and it was something that I was already sitting in, already sitting in. Um, I- I'm so hesitant because I-, I know that I, I don't have permission to say certain things on the show. So I keep pulling back a little bit to sort of catch myself. My clients and my godchildren know when, I, when I'm quiet, I'm trying to be diplomatic and I'm looking for my words. But this idea of trauma and abuse, and anyone who's ever suffered trauma and abuse can feel it, can see it, can smell it on other people. Whether you've been a victim or whether you've been the perpetrator. We see you. We smell you. We feel you. And often we can readily identify you. And in a politically correct society, it says, well, you don't know, and you don't have proof, and you don't have evidence. Often the victims go quiet. Or they're put in a position like I was to have to find their way through life and find healing, find balance find my own sense of, of, of health and wellness. And though my abuser, unfortunately, is still living, just made 80, 83 years old, there's still that moment once a day where, where I just imagine what it would be like to just get my hands around his neck. And I'm more sensitive to how it still continues to hurt my mother, 78 years old how it still continues to hurt my sister, 50 years old, and how it continues to hurt all my other siblings that came before my family and after my family who somehow are disconnected from it, who are somehow disconnected from it. We find a way to gain strength. We find a way to get up and move on. We find a way to survive. And particularly if you have children, I don't have biological children. I have hundreds of living children, clients, godchildren. I have hundreds of living children who I have to deal with and confront with and walk them through their pain, their trauma, their tragedy. Often, before you can even move forward on a love and relationship request, you got to look at who's seeking love. 
you got to look at who's petitioning the request. And often the roadblocks that we set up for ourselves that prevent us from feeling love, from accessing love in, in a balanced and normal way. You can't just tuck away pain. You just can't. You just can't. You might think you can, and you might do so in denial successfully for some years, maybe for some decades, but it comes back to you. It comes back to you. And particularly between 35 and 55 is when it tends to really stand up. It's in those years when we tend to do self-inventory. Who am I? Where am I? Where have I been? Where am I going? What does my life look like? What have I accomplished? What have I succeeded in? And, and that's where your unfinished shadow work shows up. That, that's when your untouched background shows up to haunt you, if you haven't done something about it. And just like trauma, just like white supremacy, white supremacy and racism, it, it won't dissolve away like sugar if you put enough water on it. It won't just disappear if you just stop thinking about it. It's something that we have to actively be a party to. You have to actively participate in. And it's not just enough for just black people, for just Asian people, for just Hispanic people to to address white supremacy. White supremacy is about white people. And until more than 10 Republican representatives, until more than a dozen white celebrities and, and entertainers decide to stand up and speak out and address this, this legacy will roll down. I was taught once ago, shit rolls downhill. This legacy will continue to roll downhill to your children, to your grandchildren, and et cetera. And, and, and let me say it again. Some of us don't have biological children. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. You might be single. You might be 50. You might be 60. But your energy, your light work, your shadow work touches everyone around you. Touches that neighbor that's watching your demonstration, that church member who's watching your demonstration. Listen, the church probably elicits the most anger from me. One, because I was there. I was there. I'm a former minister of music. Many of you know that. Five, six, seven, eight years old, I'm on the piano. I'm on the organ. I'm at church six days a week, often more times than many of the adults were in the place. And in that environment, man, I was able to see, not just from the, from the pew, but from the pulpit, not just from the main church sanctuary, but in the back offices and at the administrative level. My mama, when she was still caught up, caught up, <laughs> you know, and couldn't see and couldn't hear, you know, would, would question, you know, why is it so much gossip? Why do you know so much about people's business? Why are you assuming this about this person and that about that person? She don't question me on that anymore. She don't question me on that anymore. It took some time, but, but she saw it happen. She saw it happen right in her demonstration and continues to see it happen right in her demonstration. This, this pandemic brought out 
not just white supremacy and, and racism and prejudice and, and bigotry, but how we really think about each other, how we really care about each other within our families, within our communities, within our nation. One of the first things I did back in the earlier stages of the pandemic was called all the older people that I knew. The older you were, the more likely you were to get a call from me. And just to let you know I'm here, how are you doing? Do you need anything? How can we better work together? And my prayer, my goal is that that continues. Our community has stepped up here in New Orleans in terms of making sure people get fed making sure people aren't going without electricity and power, making sure people aren't going without housing. Let this be a new legacy. Let this be a new grassroots movement. Much like some of us remember the 50s and the 60s and the 70s. Oh, we were marching, but man, we came together. We had family reunions. We had block parties. We had community clubs. We came together to support one another through the celebration, but also through the pain and the tragedy. The tragedy of our great leaders, our great heroes, is just as much a part of legacy as those things that we applaud, as those things that we we stand up and, and celebrate. The Boston Massacre figure, Christopher Addis, Massachusetts shipping magnate, Paul Coates, Black history pioneer Carter G. Woodson, freed slave Denmark Bessie, anti-slavery activist Sojourner Truth, South African president Nelson Mandela, back to Africa leader Marcus Garvey, Nation of Islam leader Elijah Muhammad, legal figure Homer Plessy, NAACP founder W.E.B. Du Bois, murdered civil rights activist Megar Everett, civil rights leader Dr. Martin Luther King, Civil rights leader Coretta Scott King, bus riding activist Rosa Parks, lynching victim Emmett Till, black power advocate Malcolm X, Black Panther founder Huey Newton, educator Booker T. Washington, educator Mary McLeod Bethune, Me Too founder Tarana Burke, early senator uh, Blanche Kelso Bruce, please forgive me if I mispronounce some names, I'm still in my motion. <laughs> Congressman and activist John Lewis, Supreme Court Justice Thurgood Marshall, politician Adam Clayton Powell Jr., and, and so many more, figures in science and technology, fi- figures in the news, writers, entertainers, athletes, religious figures. But we often celebrate the good. We often reward the achievements and the accomplishments, but we deny the pain. We, we deny the tragedy. We deny the trauma that often brought many of our greatest leaders to the forefront of our society. Oprah Winfrey has shared her story. Another survivor of great abuse from within the family. And, and, and is it still a rule? I don't have somebody mail me the black code book because I, I need to be up to date on, on the rules. Do we still not air our dirty laundry in public? Is that still a rule? And do we understand that that was a a tool, a mechanism that kept us quiet, that kept us silent, that kept us in place on the plantation during enslavement? 
the idea that you don't share, you know, share our dirty laundry, that you don't tell that there's a problem, you don't tell that there's abuse going on, you don't tell that, you know, violence is happening. Is that still a thing? Somebody uh, send me that. Uh, Chef Bougie, send me a, a, the new copy <laughs> the Black Code book, because I want to know if, if that's still a rule. Because if that's still a rule, then, then I'm a violator. Then I'm a violator. I, I repeat my story almost every day. Many people in this room who've ever had a consultation, they know parts of my story. They know my story. It's hard for me to give a reading without connecting the dots. And particularly if there are dots to be connected. People say, well, you know, I found you by happenstance. No, you didn't find me by happenstance. You didn't find me by happenstance. The ancestors brought you here. The Most High brought you here. The Loa and the Orisha and the Voodoo's brought you here. And often when it comes to doing that hard work, okay, sometimes it takes up all is a blessing, divine all blessed kind of tone. But sometimes, just like on this show, I have to speak up. I have to. I have to. I have to. Some of you are passing down the legacy of abuse, whether you're aware of it or not, right now. Right now, to your children, to your daughters, to your granddaughters. Oh, I got coffee burning on the stove. Oh, it's not burning. It was turned down low, but I could smell it. Some of us are passing down that abuse. And you might say, oh, but I'm not abusive. My dad was abusive, but I'm not abusive. My mom was abusive, but I'm not abusive. But if you don't talk about it, if you don't write about it, if you don't bring it out into the open, if you are an active participant in healing and doing the work, just like white supremacy, just like racism, it rolls downhill to the next generation. And, and, and some of you, I don't know why my kids are acting like this. I don't know why my 14-year-old, my 15-year-old, my 16-year-old is acting like this. They didn't get it from me, but, but usually within five good minutes of conversation, did they get it from dad? Did they get it from granddad? Did they get it from grandma? Did they get it from aunt and uncle? Some of y'all come from really big families, so sometimes your, your greatest uh, demonstrators and mentors are maybe not your parents, but your siblings, your cousins, your first cousins. You know, I used to envy really big families uh, when I was younger <laughs> and, and didn't really understand. <laughs> I used to envy you all with all, you know, huge families. Now, let's be clear. Uh, my mom has two children, but, but I have seven sisters that I know of by way of my dad and a few more that I don't know of and have not met. I have at least four brothers that I know of by way of my dad, and a few more that, that I don't know of. But the fact that I didn't have that peer pressure, that sense of, of, of having siblings and older cousins, I got a whole bunch of first cousins, but, but my dad, in order to hide his deception and hide his bigamy, moved us to the East Coast at a very young age. So I was almost 15 before I knew I had a whole other family out there. I was 15 before my mom knew my dad had a whole other family out there. And I was the one to discover it. 
Yeah, I was a busybody, even as, even as a child. I was the one to discover it. First, I went through some drawers. I was good for going through drawers. Some of y'all got a child in your family right now that the minute you leave the house, they go into the drawers, they go into paper. That was me. <laughs> that was me. And I found the divorce paperwork stating that they had not been divorced when my parents got married. So it was never discussed. It was never talked about it. It was never addressed. But the next thing I know, they got remarried. My parents got remarried three times. Three times. Trying to bring validation to something that could not be validated. Trying to acknowledge and make right something that wasn't righted. And I feel free to speak my peace because me and my mother have spoke our peace. <laughs> my mom ain't angry about me telling this story, okay? There, is, there are no longer secrets being held in this, in this family, not among us, not among us. Now, my extended family, I'm still concerned because some of you all know now today. Today, some of you all now know. And when Saturday rolled around, January 30th, when he made 83, I didn't think about him. I thought about his other kids. I thought about the rest of his family. And I wondered, I wonder if they celebrated. I wonder if they sent him a card. I, I wonder if they're helping to make his day bright. And then I wanted to choke the hell out of him. Then I wanted to get in an Uber and drive to Jackson, Mississippi. I won't say the exact town, but it's near Jackson, Mississippi. I wanted to just show up. I wanted to just show up. And then Cortez made that Instagram video. And it broke me all the way down. It broke me all the way down. That feeling that you all have had, that sick feeling in your gut, you know, and it was real easy to say it was that orange man. It was that pumpkin in the White House. It was real easy for us to say that. But now, post-Retrumplican uh, administration, we, we see this is a sign of a much bigger problem. What I, and I made a video. Thank you for all of you all who supported my video. The one thing that I'm grateful for, the one thing that I'm grateful for about a Trump administration is he brought you racist out of the closet. He brought you hateful motherfuckers out of the closet. He exposed some of the ignorance in our own community. I got another cousin was a Trump supporter. Still got it on his, on his Twitter page. The only reason I haven't blocked and removed is because he's my cousin. But he's on mute. I don't acknowledge his post. I don't pay attention to much of that foolishness, you know. And, and I ask myself, just like many of you are asking yourselves about these Trumplicans, why is it still there? Now that you know better, now that you've seen better, now that we're on this side of, of January 6th, why is it still on your Twitter that, that you supported Trump in December? We are dealing with the national mental health crisis, national mental health crisis. Racism, homophobia, sexism, abuse, 
rapers, molesters. As I said at the top of the show, if I had my way, child molesters and rapists would be executed. Executed. And that's not no QAnon nonsense. They should be executed by the government. Just like Saudi Arabia, just like Afghanistan, they should be executed. And people who supported it, who kept quiet, who didn't stand up, who didn't do anything about it, should should seek therapy from behind bars, should be incarcerated, and then we should be seeking to rehabilitate those individuals. Because your rapists and your child molesters can't be rehabilitated. Castration ain't good enough for me. They cannot be rehabilitated. But, but, but your mama who stayed quiet, your daddy who stayed quiet, your aunties and them who, who didn't stand up and do anything about it, just maybe they might be rehabilitated. But some of them won't be unless they are incarcerated, unless they're forced to address it, just like racism, just like white supremacy. Had it had not been for January 6th, Had it not been for January 6th, these people would quietly still be in your neighborhood. These people would quietly still be standing behind you in, in, in the grocery line. These people would quietly be pulling up to the gas pump just like you, just like they've done for the last 400 years, just like they've done for the last four administrations, without any real acknowledgement, without any real response. So I'm grateful for truth. I don't care how it shows up. I don't care how it stands up. I'm always grateful for truth. And if you're the devil, if you mean me harm, if you're wicked, I'd rather know than have to figure it out. I'd rather know than have to run some kind of gauntlet or test to figure it out. Because that energy can be better applied somewhere else. That energy can be better applied in the healing of ourselves, our families, our relationships, our communities. Greeting Danette Gibbs. Greeting Tamisha Gilbert. Thank you so much, Earth Angel Bree. Thank you so much for coming through. Did I miss anybody? Um, Mick, Mick Sage Hall. I'm a Mick too, beloved. Love that name. <laughs> Don't call me Mr. Don't call me Sir. Don't call me Ma'am. Call me Mick. MX. I love that. Uh, greetings, greetings. Thank you, Chef Bougie. Thank you. You know, and, and it takes men, real men, to stand up to these perpetrators. It takes men, real men, to, to pull out these perpetrators. And, and we often know, we see the signs, we hear the conversation in the locker room, we hear what's talked about and what's discussed on the corner, but we also see the behavior. We also see the behavior. Something that still to this day greatly irritates me, but but I first acknowledged it, I don't know, I might have been eight or nine years old. It's when a sister came past the corner, came past the church without y'all doing this. And often when they're doing this, I would be looking at them like this. Because a perpetrator can't contain that. A perpetrator can't hold that in. And a real man ain't 
thirsty like that, ain't hungry like that. And, and particularly the young ones, especially in the hood, you all have seen it. You all have all seen it, 10, 9, and they doing this. Why? Why? And, and where are the brothers in the community to correct that? Where are the brothers in the community to correct that? Why are you trying to correct me for being too feminine? You need to correct him for being a, 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 a pervert and a child molester and a rapist. Our priorities are all off in America. That's why people feel such a way about us around the world. And for some of you who don't watch the news, who don't keep up with the news in other countries, who aren't aware what Nigerians think about black Americans, what Ethiopians think about black Americans, what Kenyans think about black Americans, what Asians think about black Americans, this might be news to you. We all the same to them. They don't separate us from the white supremacists. They don't separate us from the white people. They don't separate us from the American government. They see us as all the same. It's all the same. And it doesn't help when, you know, our popularized music and our popularized styles and our popularized videos make the circuit. And they imitate and emulate that behavior as if it is who we are, as if it is who all of us are. I've never been good on Ivani. Wasn't allowed to speak it. I'm still confused by half of the stuff y'all are saying and tweeting and, po- and, 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 and posting today. I don't understand what's good as a greedy. I, I don't. What's good? A brother who can communicate and got vocabulary and got grammar and can articulate. That's what's good. A brother that's building for his community. That's what's good. Success and prosperity, that's what's good, but I don't understand what's good. As a greeting, I don't understand it. And somewhere in the last 15 years, you know, with the rise of the prosperity ministry, with the rise of the mega church, you know, I can't tell the difference anymore. We all dress alike. We all look alike. You can't tell one reality show from the other, whether they secular or supposed to be religious. You can't tell anybody apart. And social media seems to uh, sort of feed that desire for everyone to be like everybody else, for everyone to follow everybody else. Listen, my hat's off to T.S. Madison. Congratulations on your show, beloved. And bitch, you better work it. Okay, you better work it. You know, we are creating legacy for ourselves right now, each and every one of you. In this room, you ain't got to be famous. You ain't got to be rich. You don't have to be a celebrity. Each and every one of you under the sound of my voice right now is in the process of creating legacy. So you have the opportunity to make sure that what happened to you don't happen to nobody else. What you suffered through, make sure it don't. No one else has to suffer through it. And, and most certainly, your children your nieces, your nephews, your, your, your children's friends. Sometimes I, 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 I get caught up in the past. I think about my friends and my friends' parents of, of whom's houses I was in and out of every day. 
my Boy Scout mother, first person in my life to call me a sissy. But, but when I needed you to come to my defense, you weren't there. You weren't there. And you coddled your perpetrating son, <laughs> allowed him to get married and have a child, and, and, and then continue to perpetrate more sickness and madness in the community. Listen, I'm, I told you I'm working on a book right now. <laughs> so a lot of this is right at the surface. It's right at the surface. And, and I'm not blocking no names in my book. Family, friend, I don't care who you are. I'm telling my story, and, and your name won't be blotted out in my book. Your identity won't be blotted out, not in my book. Not in my book. And you can try and sue me if you want to. Respect the voodoo. That's what you do. Respect the voodoo. <laughs> the voodoo is real. But I'm not, I'm not hiding. I'm not covering I'm not blocking out. I'm not in de- denial anymore. Anymore. Yes, Arisha, this is indeed their last attempt to hold on to white patriarchy. Absolutely. Absolutely, their last attempt. And, you know, it's a drawn out, unnecessary attempt because it, it, it won't survive. It won't survive. The population count statistic tells us that won't survive. The, the power of black women and women of color and white women who are now moving into position and trans women determines that that won't survive. It will not survive. And, and that's a part of their fear. This is something that was planned for those of us born in the 60s. We know that this was planned 50 years ago. The conversation about the population count was discussed 50 years ago. The browning and blackening of America was discussed 50 years ago. And some would say that the, the, the open door policy for European foreigners was an attempt to sort of stave that off, bringing in the Irish and the Italian and, and, and the Czech Republic and, and Yugoslavians and, 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 and people from various other ethnic European backgrounds was an attempt to bring some balance to that, to keep black America under 12%, if not less than that, to keep the Hispanic population under 17% or less than that. And so if you're paying attention, you know that that's a futile endeavor. It's a futile endeavor. Futile endeavor. We are ultimately going to be governed by people of color, by women, by people who no longer identify with your your binary, coded gender positioning, we're moving into a whole new dispensation. And you're being convinced that that's somehow evil, that's somehow wicked, that that's somehow going to, you know, harm this, this system of white supremacy that we exist in. Because that's what you're talking about covering up. That's what you're talking about protecting. It it brings no harm to that which is healthy. It brings no harm to that which is whole. It brings no harm to that which is in balance. Greetings, greetings. Yeah, the majority are hiding in plain sight, uh, Arisha. Absolutely. Absolutely. Greetings, divine self-healing. I hope I didn't sound like I was on a tangent when you came in, but I did have a, 
a frame of reference for which I was uh, working from. A golden wave. Um, that's not true. That's not true. The, the idea that no one will remember you after two generations. Let me say this. It's only true in that you accept that as a reality. No one will remember you after two generations if that's what you believe and that's the foundation that you've established. Listen, we live in a technologically advanced society. Your Facebook is going to live longer than two generations. Your Twitter is going to live longer than two generations. Your YouTube is going to live longer than two generations. And so I often ask this audience, Golden Wave, what are y'all doing with your social media? What are y'all posting? What are y'all talking about? All these butt out and front. That's what some of y'all are leaving for two generations to find. Write a book. Keep a journal. Make a difference in your community, Golden Wave. I certainly will not be forgotten in two generations. I will not be forgotten in, in 200 years for the work that I'm doing to leave a legitimate footprint for authentic voodoo. Hoodoo might die out. Witchcraft might back up a little bit. Foolishness might be transformed. But I, w- I won't be forgotten. I won't be forgotten. And neither will you. Your tax records will last more than two generations. Your medical files will last more than two generations. And those of you who were born before me, the 50s, the 40s, the 30s, you know, who who, who remember microfish, things not being kept on microfish anymore. <laughs> things are being encoded and inscribed into quartz crystal now into quartz crystal, into crystal quartz technology, which governs the technology in the memory banks of our computers. So that, that's a bit of a misnomer, golden wave, that no one will rem- remember you. No one will remember you if you choose to be invisible. Now, there's some even amongst us that choose to be invisible, and you all got all kind of usernames and all kind of made-up identities and you know, you're operating from the dark web and you're scrubbing your footprint, but even you, if someone decides to look for you, you'll be found somewhere. You'll be found somewhere. And it might be in the medical journals. You know, it might be in the medical files. Education, your educational records will survive more than two generations. So we must, again, especially in the day of social media and technology, the world will, will remember more than just the celebrities and the entertainers. The world will indeed remember more than just the, the, the rich and, and, and the highly favored. How you are remembered is still in your hands. The footprint that you leave is still in your hands. And Golden Wave, you know, I can't see you. I don't know who you are. I have no idea. You're too young for that. Yeah, I'm reading now. You're too young for that. And so you have an opportunity to leave a footprint of how you choose to be remembered two generations from now. And share your truth. Share your truth. Tell your story. Recipe books last longer than two generations. But people are now telling their story, inscribing their pain in memoirs and and journals and, and autobiographies. 
Tell your truth. Tell your story. You will be remembered. Tamisha Gilbert, greetings, beloved. Now, you're asking me a question. Is that shadow work? I really need this. I'm so emotional right now because, yeah, me too, Tamisha. And I'm not trying to make you emotional. I, I just am. I just am. Um, and if you all really understood, um, I'm trying to find my words. If you all really understood what was happening right now, um, you'd understand. You'd understand. So I'm grateful for you. Just pray for my entire family. That's what I'm going to say. Pray for my entire family, and particularly me, Wapani, and my mother. Just pray for my entire family. Just stand in the gap. All you candle magic burner workers, work something for us. All you ritual workers, work something for this family right now. Um, That's about as far as I can go with that. But, Tamisha, I'm right here with you, beloved. I'm right here with you. And, and Cortez hit a chord with me. Because we, we, we know abusers when we see them. We, we can smell abusers. We can feel abusers. And the way we're being handled as Americans, I don't care what your ethnicity is, the way we're being handled as Americans, male, female, transgendered, five-gendered, the way we're being handled as, a, as Americans is, is just like the pimp. Just like the rapist, just like the molester, just like the abuser, and, you know, my energy level is up here right now. It's up here. And it's okay to be angry. Don't let anybody tell you, oh, you got to forgive. Oh, you got to let that go. Oh, you got to. It is okay. It is healthy to be angry. God created anger for a reason. Anger, sadness, emotions are designed for a reason. And they're designed to get us to respond, to get us to act, to get us to bring some some level of balance. So it's okay to be angry. It's okay to be angry. I went for the phone several times today. And then I kept saying, oh, but, you know, it might feel good for five minutes, but, you know. So I decided I would bring that energy here to the show. I would bring that energy here to the show. And I'm sure he knows. One of my cousins had already told him what, what I had to say. You know, so the way the Republicans are treating us right now is just like the abusers, just like the molesters, just like the rapists. And for you Republicans under the sound of my voice, who oh, don't lump us together. I'm not one. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. You're about as silent as the Broomfields were during our abuse. You're, you're just as quiet as the Harrises were during our abuse. And so, and, and so that makes you, you a part of the, the problem. And then you passed it on to other children. Some, some of this madness went on to family members and ain't never met me. Ain't never met me. Ain't never met my dad. Wickedness travels. Evil travels. If you don't block it, if you don't stop it, if you don't shut it down. We've watched too much bad behavior in this nation and laughed it off, entertained it off, turned turned a blind eye to it, turned a deaf ear to it, 
and remained quiet and then ask why things aren't better. Then say things are never going to change. And the reality is, is if we don't change, things won't. If we don't uh, adjust our behavior, they have no reason to adjust their behavior. Their behavior has been successful up until this point, and they believe it's going to continue to be successful. That's why they're inactive right now. That's why they're spinning their wheels right now. They're trying to remake themselves. People say, oh, the Republican Party has been hijacked. No, that is who the Republican Party has always been. That's who they always have been. The difference is Donald Trump didn't know how to shut up. Donald Trump didn't know how to mask his own dysfunction. And so, therefore, it's now out in the open. And it's out in the open for us to do what? What are we going to do about it? Greetings, Queen Bluntress. What are we going to do about it? How are we going to address it? First, in your own family, in your own household, in your own marriage, in your own relationship, and then how, how that then feeds the community. If one more person tells me I'm staying for the children, I'm going to scream. I'm going to scream. Your children are absorbing your demonstration. Your children know exactly what's going on. Even if you don't argue in front of the children, if you don't fight in front of the children, even if you're not doing your drugs and your alcohol in front of the children, your children know exactly what's going on. And they feel it on you. They absorb it from you. They watch how mom and dad handle stress, handle a problem, handle a fear. And then that is transferred to the next generation and often to their peers. Because one or two children are often the guideposts for their pod, their peer group. Sometimes that popular kid in the neighborhood has a little bit more power than parents in terms of how your children are I'm grateful that both of my parents taught me how to be independent. I'm grateful that both of my parents taught me how to think for myself. I'm grateful that both of my parents taught me how to do for myself. And if I can be where I am today, I wouldn't change a thing. If I could be who I am in this present moment, I wouldn't change a thing. Not a thing. Doesn't erase the anger. Doesn't erase the madness. <laughs> Doesn't erase the sadness sometimes. You know, that's the shadow work, beloved. That's the shadow work. <clears throat> One of my uh, elders, some of you all know, uh, beloved Denise Augustine, she and I walk to the riverfront sometimes in the morning. And so you've seen uh, videos of us together. And one day she asked me a set of questions. Um, that I have on the top of my head, but when I'm doing a broadcast, I feel much more comfortable when I can see what I'm talking about in front of me. Ah, here we go. My morning affirmation. She asked me one question one day, and then that turned into a series of questions that I now, you know, pass on to my to my uh, clients and my initiates and my godchildren. Do you love life? What she said was, do you love life? Because I love life. 
And she might not have said, do you love life? She might have just said, I love life, and then looked at me like, do you? And so every morning, every morning, before I open my eyes, I, I, I grab that crystal, and I ask myself these five questions. How do you feel? How do you feel? Don't wait for your mama, your, your, your roommate, your coworker to say, hey, how you doing? Because often that's, that's superficial. They don't, they don't want to hear how you're doing. They don't care how you're doing. And if you say you got a problem, they're probably not interested in helping you fix it. So you ask yourself these questions first. How do you feel? How do you feel? Do you love life? Do you love life? Are you happy to be here? Are you happy to be here? Are the ancestors still with you? Are the ancestors still with you? These last two are a little bit tricky, and I'm explaining why in a minute. Are the ancestors still with you, and is God still in control? The last two are tricky because they have everything to do with how you answer the first three questions. I've dealt with depression, chronic depression. I was on medication, 1996 to 2000, four years of medication. To, to bring me back into balance, to bring me into line, for me to separate what was really me from what was my past, from what was other people's stuff. Because often that, ha- that hatred, that bitter, that anger that we carry belongs to the, to the perpetrator, belongs to the molester, belongs to the rapist. And then you're taught, usually through religion and, and culture, that to be angry is somehow sinful. To be mad is somehow sinful. So I ask myself, and I, and I implore you to answer these questions. And if you can't answer how do you feel, do you love life, are you happy to be here, with a, 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 an astounding, positive, affirmative, non-hesitant response, you got shadow work lurking. That's the entryway, that's the doorway into your shadow work. And so if you're strong enough, even in your pain, to ask yourself these questions, then you have to ask, why don't you feel well? Or why don't you feel good? Or why do you feel this way? And as you break those questions down, you are unpeeling the layers to your shadow work. And often it's something hidden there, hidden behind there, that you won't confront, that you won't accept, that you won't speak to, that you won't directly address. That's shadow work. So when we say, are the ancestors still with you? Is God still in control? There is a component of faith to that, depending on who you are. There's a component of faith to that, if you're a faithful individual. But I swear by the power of ancestors. I swear by it. Tell my clients that every day. I don't prophetize. I'm not Miss Cleo. Everybody wants to be Miss Cleo now on Instagram and Twitter. I, I don't claim none of that. None of that. I push ancestors. Let your ancestors convince you that they're present. Let your ancestors convince you that they're standing up in the work. And particularly when we're talking about le- lineage, legacy, 
and the legacy of, of negative. Let your ancestors go after it. Woo! <laughs> I said, you know, let your ancestors go after it. Because ultimately, it rolls back downhill. You carry it. Your children carry it. Your peers carry it. Your spouses carry it. Let me tell you, in my 20s, I was mean as a rattlesnake in my 20s. Mean as a rattlesnake in my 20s. And I understand that it has greatly affected, even till today, uh, how many intimate friends I have. I know lots of people. I know thousands of people. From, from your highest echelons of society to the lowest. But I can count on one hand who I trust. I can count on one hand who I allow into my business. I can count on two hands who I allow into my space. And they're vetted. Every moment, every day, they're vetted. Including my mother. Including my mother. But my mother, just as my sister has done, we're doing the work. We're addressing the past. We're addressing the dysfunction. We're talking about it. If you are not connecting with your your mother, your father, your living parents, you're doing yourself a, a disservice. If you can communicate with them, you're doing yourself a disservice. Tweet, text, whatever it takes. Open up that, that, that avenue of communication. Open up that doorway. Now, now, where you have someone who can't communicate, who won't change, who will not accept responsibility, you have no obligation to maintain those relationships. None. It is unkind and unloving to maintain relationships that bring you harm, that bring you dis-ease that bring you imbalance. It is unkind and unloving for you to maintain relationships with people, places, and things that don't feed your spirit, that don't feed your soul, that don't make you healthy, that don't make you happy, and are not actively a part of the relationship. So it's not my responsibility to to build that connection. It's not. Though I've tried. I've been unkind. I've been unloving to myself many times trying to fix what could not be fixed, trying to repair what could not be repaired, trying to bring somebody to an understanding who won't accept responsibility. That's unkind. That's unloving. Separate yourself. Pull yourself away. I went for a 10-year period where no one in my family knew if I was living or dead. Didn't know if I was here, if I was in Haiti, and if I was in, they had no idea what, what was going on with me. And at the time, I thought it was necessary, and it was. I thought it was self-survival to do so, and it was. And here I am today. Now, somewhere about 30 years ago, my mom reached out to me. The curse had been broken. The wool had been lifted from off of her eye. And we've been like this ever since. Ever since. Me and my sister were pawning. 
we realized the damage that my father had done to us and our relationship. Once upon a time, we couldn't communicate. We couldn't share a space together. And, and it had nothing to do with me or her. It was all his stuff. Once upon a time, I couldn't even have his picture up in my house. Today, it's a main target in my voodoo room. My mom asked me, do I throw darts at it? Spiritually darts. Spiritual darts, yes. Yeah. Spiritually, yes. When that darkness comes, when those memories come, when those nightmares come, I, I say, here, this belongs to you. This don't belong to me. This your madness. This belongs to you. This don't belong to me. That's doing the shadow work, beloved. That's doing the shadow work. I hear you, Tamisha Gilbert, beloved. I hear you. And, and, I, and that's crossed my mind. You know, what happens when this 83-year-old man passed and then I might have something to say? And, and I may be in a different place right now, Tamisha, than you are. Uh, I have nothing to say. I have nothing to say. I am healed to that regard. I have nothing to say. I dream it. I imagine it. I think about what it would be like to put a noose around his neck, <laughs> you know. But I have nothing to say. I have nothing to say. I refuse to allow him to control my destiny. I refuse to allow him to interrupt this season I have so much blessing right now, so much good right now, so much positivity happening in my life right now. It would be a travesty to allow him to rob me of that. So I have nothing to say. The positive of that is, uh, Tamisha, if I, if, I, if I did, I could. Now, he won't answer the phone. He won't answer the phone for me and almost anybody else in the family. But I could always show up at his house. If I wanted to Most of his family is still in the same town I have been to the town In Mississippi I, I, I have been in the Yazoo City area They don't live in Yazoo But they live near Yazoo Okay, I've been in the Yazoo area And I've discussed it with some of his family Some of my first cousins Didn't know what happened to me Or what had transpired In my life until a year ago a year ago. Imagine what I carried, thinking I was alone, thinking I didn't have any family, thinking I didn't have any support. Imagine what they thought. This guy left home 14, 15, disappeared. You know, people thought I was on drugs. People thought I was in jail. They, they had no idea. And, of course, the perpetrator created lies. The perpetrator created rumors about where I was and what I was doing. And as long as he and my mother were together and locked in that God spell, that voodoo he had on her, the lie was allowed to live. The lie was allowed to live. It was only until my mother wrote her book and Wapani wrote her book that people even believed what I said was my experience. And so now today, some of those same family members, now they can't talk to me at all because they feel a sense of guilt. They feel a sense of, of generational legacy and responsibility. 
One of my first cousins in particular who was raised by uh, my great aunt, my grandmother's sister, um, may she rest in a room, swore, once she got wind of this story about a year ago, swore my aunt would have ended it. If she would have ended him. But he pulled the wool wool over their eyes, bought air conditions, bought water heaters, often off my mama's money, fixed roofs, you know, did, did, did all those things, you know, that you do in your family to keep them in romance with you, to keep them looking at you as, you know, the good one. My family uh, seems to be a little bit consumed with money and position. So the wealthier you are, the more attention you get in my family. The more money you have, the more attention you get in my family. You know, can you help me pay for this funeral? Can you help grandma fix her roof? And in the best case scenario, that's community. That's grassroots. That, that's what we're supposed to do. But these perpetrators, these crooked pastors, use this as a tool of manipulation to keep people quiet, to keep people silent. So for many years, no one knew what was going on with me. No one knew what had happened to me. And when they found out, oh, my God, you, why didn't you tell us? I wasn't taught to tell you. We didn't have a relationship close enough where I thought I could tell you. And at that time, at 14, 15, um, moving to the South was, was not on my radar. <laughs> The, the, the pastor, who was also complicit at the time, uh, who's now dead, uh, Bishop C.L. Long, uh, 9th and Oak Street, Northwest Washington, D.C. He, he's a great degree older than Eddie Long. This, this is a completely different family. Um, he was complicit. And while I was out there, 15, ward of the state, I was a ward of the state because my parents refused to sign the paperwork to allow me to go to school in Missouri, where my mother's mother lived. So I was forced to go back to the DMV, the Maryland, D.C., Virginia area, but I wouldn't go home. So I became a ward of the state, and I lived with my mother's good friend. So the good bishop, you know, fed me this, this cup of BS. You know, this is just the society breaking up the black family. This is just Child Protective Services getting involved in, in, in the black family's business. Sometimes child protective services need to get in, involved in a black family business if it's rape and molestation and violence and abuse going on. Hell yeah, child protective services should have got involved. I don't want to hear that, oh, they just mixing it up in the, yeah, okay. So he convinced me to either go home, Bishop, either go home or they were going to give me a full ride to uh, 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 Mississippi State University. I wouldn't take it. I wouldn't take it. At 15, I had very little awareness of the Deep South. You know, Maryland is, is the upper South. We're talking about the Deep South. And so all I, all I knew was, you know, Mississippi burning and, and roots. And, you know, I had all the worst ideas in mind about what the South was. And it took me till I was in my 20s to, to get a, a better understanding of who I was. After I had gone through Rastafari and the Nation of Islam 
and, and other uh, popularized uh, religious spiritual practices that were very common in the late 70s going into the 80s. This predates Dr. York. This predates many of the movements that you all identify with today. This predates the Hebrew Israelites. After going through that journey and reading books and sitting at the feet of mentors, I developed a love for myself first, and then that translated to my people. And I can remember being in Pasadena, California. I had a huge vinyl map. It would cover the wall. And I would decide where my next move was going to be after having moved from coast to coast, from D.C. to New York to Milwaukee to to St. Louis to Chicago uh, to, to, to California to Los Angeles. You know, I was deciding my next great move. And I started looking at, let me stop for a second, parable of a sower, parable of the sower. Parable of the Sower. I've told you all before to read that book. Read that book. That's what finally got me to leave California. Octavia Butler, that's the author, Parable of the Sower. Some of you in this, in this room have already read that book, so you, so you know what I'm talking about. I won't give it away for those who have not read the book. So Octavia Butler, may she rest in a room. And the name of the book is The Parable of the Sower, S-O-W-E-R. So after having read that book, I had to get out of California. (laughs) I had to get out of California. I was having premonitions of negative things, the the, the big quake coming and, and, you know, negative things happening. Uh, And and that was Spirit's way of, of sort of inducing me to move. So I'm looking at this huge vinyl map that I had on the wall and trying to figure out where am I going to go now that I've never gone before. And that left open the South, the deep South, Um, because I grew up in Maryland. Maryland is the northernmost South. So I'm doing the research. I'm realizing that still, even to this day, 2021, the largest population of African-Americans live in the South, still live in the South, Maryland, Virginia, the Carolinas, Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, Florida, Louisiana, Texas, Kentucky. We, we still live in the deep South. And so I, I was ready. I was ready. I read a few books, did some study like many of you have, read some Marie Laveau books, I was ready for New Orleans. And so when I got here, finally, uh, after having tried Atlanta, no fault, Atlanta, but Atlanta wasn't for me. <laughs> Atlanta was too, too elitist, too collegiate, too upwardly mobile in a way that they, in my opinion, were disconnected from the grassroots community. And so I did great business in Atlanta. I was a great vendor. I actually vend right on Auburn Avenue at the top of the hill. Um, That little park there, if it's still there, that little crack park, that's where I set up. And I did real well in terms of of vending and business, but socially and culturally, it, it wasn't my place to be. And so with a group of other spiritualists, I came to New Orleans. We took a retreat, four-day retreat to New Orleans. 
changed my life forever. Changed my life forever. I knew I was home. I knew this is where I was supposed to be. Any idea of fear. And, and let me be clear. I've never had a, a problem with the police in New Orleans, ever. I'm not suggesting that others don't. I'm not suggesting that Black Lives Matter and, and police brutality is not an issue. I'm telling my story. Never had a problem with the police. Never felt unsafe in New Orleans. And I don't care where it was. One of my old hangouts was the Desire Project. I was never unsafe in the Desire. I was never unsafe in, in the Lower Ninth. And I've never really felt unsafe anywhere in New Orleans. I had never been somewhere where people spoke and not just, hey, baby, how you doing? But, hey, baby, how you doing? You don't look right. You don't sound right. What, what you didn't ate? You know, what you doing? That's the kind of love that I, I still continue to get in, in New Orleans. I, I got two refrigerators stacked to the top. I got a chest deep freezer stacked to the top. And I still have people offering food services, you know, resources. Do you need anything? Can we help you out? Moving to the South was one of the best decisions I ever made, and particularly moving to Louisiana. I don't regret any of my experience. I don't regret Miami. I don't regret Fort Lauderdale. Yeah, I've been there too. I don't regret Atlanta. (laughs) You know, I don't regret Mississippi. You know, I don't regret Memphis, Tennessee, but New Orleans, New Orleans is my home. New Orleans is the place where the ancestors said, this is where you go and do your work. This is where you go and grow. This is where you go and rewrite legacy and create a legacy that mirrors your best interests. Create a legacy that you can stand up in. Create a legacy that your children and your grandchildren and your, and your nieces and nephews will acknowledge and honor I told you I have a big family. I got a lot of first cousins, second cousins. They're all on Facebook. I don't call out their names. I don't invade their privacy, but they're all on Facebook. And one of the things that I appreciate about social media is that many of the nieces and nephews, cousins that never met me, they're hearing this story from me. They're viewing my life from me. They don't have to ride on what was said about Cousin Ty, what was suggested about Uncle Ty. They're getting it directly from me. And I'm grateful that my mother is still living. I'm grateful that I still have uh, elders in the family that I can talk to and communicate with and and work out uh, my own shadow work. And I understand that that's not common anymore. If you grow up in a single-headed household, you might not even know one of your grandmothers or her entire family. But again, I don't judge the single-headed household. I grew up in a two-headed household, two-parented household, didn't know my father had brothers until a year ago. Didn't know my father had brothers and sisters that I didn't know anything about until a year ago. Didn't know I had first cousins I had never heard of, never met until a year ago. One of, one of them is a, a sign language interpreter for the UN in Washington, D.C. So, beloved, you absolutely have an opportunity to rewrite your reality. 
you absolutely have an opportunity to recreate a legacy that your children can stand up in, that you can stand up in, and that those who come after you can stand up in. Yeah, the God's initiative, honey. I was, whoo, I wasn't nothing nice in my 20s. <laughs> and let's be clear, I've never been violent. I'm, I'm not a fighter, though I've carried weapons my entire life. Since I was 15, I've carried a weapon. Never had to use it. Never had to, to flash it, <laughs> you know. Um, but, yeah, I was, I was mean. And it limited my ability to sort of build relationships, build connections with people. You know, all that darkness was, was on my chest. I was carrying all that darkness on my shoulders. And, and as I said, probably just before you got here, it didn't belong to me. It didn't belong to me. It belonged to my father, and it belonged to all the adults, including my mother, who either were complicit or felt powerless to do anything when it was happening. I honor my mother because she stood up in her portion of responsibility. I'm grateful for my mother. Grateful for my mother. And when I say we have the best relationship, me and my mom have the best relationship possible a, ch- a son and a mother can have, a child and a mother can have. And so you've got to do that shadow work. It, it's, impo- it's important. Uh, the God's initiative, I hear you say my real shadow work happened in my 30s. I think that's a reason that the Christ was crucified at 33. Some of those masons and shriners and eastern stars listening to my sound of my voice know that there's something magical in 32 and 33. And I say even up until 35, um, that's when that doorway of shadow work and what you have not addressed really comes to the surface. Sometimes it's delayed for you parents because you get into the business of doing parenting. You get in the business of paying bills and keeping things moving. And so for some of you, unfortunately, particularly for women, that shadow work might not show up until you're 40 or 50, you know, and then there's that breakdown. Then there's that sudden awareness of all all that's gone undone. And even at 50, it's it's still doable. Even at 60, you still have an opportunity to do that work. And if indeed you are the parent, you are the grandparent, you are the guardian, you have obligation to do that work with your living children. You have an obligation to ask forgiveness. You have an obligation to point out what could have been improved on. You have an obligation to take responsibility for, for what maybe you didn't know or understand. But it is unkind and unloving to judge yourself on something that you don't know how to do, that you've never been taught to do. So many of us didn't even uh, come across any kind of of, uh, workbook or instructional manual on how to deal with and address shadow work until this last five years. That phraseology is very new, shadow work. We didn't didn't say shadow work back back in the day. We just confronted reality, but we now have an opportunity to do that work. And, and I'm often asked, you know, are there books, are there instruction manuals? There are. They just ain't called shadow work. The first book is Ian Levan Zant. In the meantime, Ian Levan Zant, 
In the meantime, I think she wrote that book in 1998. Uh, 2000, she wrote, One Day My Soul Just Opened Up. One Day My Soul Just Opened Up. So if you're struggling through shadow work, if you need a manual, instruction, some teaching, start there. Iyanla Van Zandt, first book, In the Meantime, 1998. Second book, One Day My Soul Just Opened Up. I think she wrote that in, in 2000. Acts of Faith is a good book, but it's, it's more of a, a workbook uh, as opposed to In the Meantime and One Day My Soul Opened Up. I find them to be more of a buffet of real meat for us to sort of eat into, bite into, um, to really begin to do the work, to, to address shadows. Shamafia says, if you don't prune your energetic field, you will carry the weight of diseased vines that consistently will drain you. And, and this is true. For my herbalists and my gardeners out there, we know. We know. You, you can't let those that dead fruit, those dead limbs stay on the tree. I have to cut that rosemary back because that rosemary just grows out of control. And so those nutrients are dispersed. So you have to trim. You have to cut back so that the nutrients are best applied to the source and your tree then bears fruit, flowers, and then bears fruit. Grateful for you, uh, Neophyte Bokor. Welcome back, Hoodoo Occultism. We all prayed for you, brother. We all prayed for you and your entire family. Uh, so welcome back. We certainly appreciate you. And as a quick uh, yes, uh, Tamisha, sounds like your family. We might be related. <laughs> I got Gilberts in my family. <laughs> we might be related, beloved. Get that 23andMe done. Do that Ancestry.com and type my name in there. We, we might be related. Yes, indeed. Um the K-Way. Greetings, beloved. I'm not familiar with your name, so welcome if you're a new listener. Yes, I'm still um, considering it's not the right word. I am doing shows on the weekend. I just haven't been very consistent. Um, and Hoodoo Occultism, you know, is like my sergeant of arms. He kind of gets on me sometimes and, and kind of reminds me. But it's been difficult to shift a schedule that I've gotten so used to, you know, and that would include not just when I do the show, but how I structure my appointments. Uh, because of doing a show like this in the middle of the day um, at noon, it, it's 12 noon here in, in, in New Orleans. Uh, it affects what I can do in the morning and it affects what I can do immediately thereafter. Sometimes I'm just drained thereafter. And so I'm doing consultations and work sometimes from 3 to like 9 p.m. at night after the show. Uh, and then it takes me from 9 in the morning until noon just to wake up and get myself together. And some of you sit here with me between 11 and noon, and I play music, I play videos, I show a few uh, uh, documentaries that I've already done. Uh, and that's sort of my way of getting us in the mood, but also getting myself sort of energized. And I go outside and I walk the block a couple of times and, and I come back. Um, so it's just a matter of, of me rebalancing my skill. Um, our beloved Orisha, Eva Orisha, uh, is, is sort of like my new my, um, administrator. 
Uh, so she's also been helping me to keep lists, um, come up with a better, you know, schedule and, and, and idea of things that I need to deal with. She's going to help me to get that um, Patreon rolling. So please don't give up on me on Patreon. Uh, she's going to help me to get that rolling, and we're going to do at least uh, one really good informative uh, video or post for Patreon a week, maybe two. Um, and, and I'm still answering your question, Kay. Um, so with all of that, um, and then I do have clients, particularly tourists or people from out of town who show up on weekends, and sometimes I accommodate the few in-house appointments that I do take on. Um, they tend to show up also on the weekends. So I'm trying to figure out a way to sort of bring balance. Uh, I also promised you all almost a year ago that I would also um, sort of move the show to the other side of the house. Um, I love my Indian room, my craft room, uh, but there's so much more going on on the other side of that wall uh, where my reading room is and, and where some of my work happens. And so it's coming, the case. Just don't give up on me, beloved. Uh, keep reminding me, send me an email, ask me if I'm going to broadcast. Uh, Hoodoo Occultism does that. He'll text me, you know, and, and it kind of keeps me on track. Uh, and, and often I show up here, not often, I only show up here for you. I only show up here for you. If I left it up to how I feel in my body, how I feel in my spirit sometimes, and then the degree of work and consultations I'm doing, I wouldn't be doing the show at all. I don't really have time. Uh, so I do it for you. I do it for the people that say, hey, I missed you. I do it for the people who sit in their offices and play my blog talk radio in their offices. That's one of the few stations that they're allowed to listen to in the workplace. I do it for those who absolutely are getting fed, for getting their needs met, who might not be right out in the open um, in the ATR community. So that's the only reason I do this show, Ms. K. The only reason I do this show is, is for you and, and for the participants and, and for my, my active participants and listeners. Uh, Tamisha Gilbert, look into it, beloved. Do, do some homework. Do some research. But don't scare yourself. Um, I've been accused of being an expert mover. I'm an expert in moving. If I'm uncomfortable, if things ain't the way I need to be back in my 20s and going into my 30s, I would bounce in a heartbeat. I didn't stay anywhere longer than 90 days, longer than six months. And so I traveled the country. So I'm a bit of an expert mover. And I know it's a little different when you might have children or might have a spouse and other family members to sort of think about. Um, but do your homework, do your research, have no fear. Don't be scared. There's nothing to be scared of. You know, I, I know people who secured their housing even before they got to New Orleans on Airbnb or, or on uh, not Airbnb. What's that other website where you go and buy stuff or sell services? Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Help me out, Danette. You know what I'm talking about. But do your homework. You'd be surprised. You might find employment before you get here. You might find housing before you get here. And for my vendors and, and independent uh, uh, business owners, 
no better place than New Orleans. Some reason they don't market it, they don't sell it, but this city is perfect for the self-employed. This city is, is, is fertilizer for people who want to create and recreate, you know, in their own image, and particularly in our community. So do your homework and, and get it moving. Don't, don't scare yourself. Don't scare yourself into not doing it. And don't let people talk you out of it. Oh, you're a woman, or oh, maybe you have kids, or oh, you don't know anybody there. Don't, don't let any of that be, be a, an excuse for you not creating your reality and your image and then moving that forward. Craig Burns, greetings, beloved. Thank you so much for being present. Listen, I don't fault anybody for being late. Y'all have a life, and then you all aren't always sure I'm going to be where I'm supposed to be. (laughs) I should have been here yesterday, so I don't don't feel any kind of way if y'all are late. I don't feel any kind of way if y'all missed my show. I'm grateful that my show is automatically archived, so people can always go back and, and listen to it. But we certainly appreciate you all being here so that we can have this active, ongoing conversation. And for that, I'm grateful. Jody Netta, greetings, beloved. Your name was new to me as well. I'm so grateful for the new audience, for the new listenership. I'm, I'm grateful for you. Peace and blessings. Thank you so much. Neophyte Bokor took a walk down the walk path under the freeway in La Paz near Aunt Julia Brown. He said it shocked him to the, or shook him to the bone. He did manage to collect some soil and left a gift as well. Okay, now that's great. Now, I'm looking at how you worded that. You took a walk down the walk path under the freeway. Okay. Okay, that's close to where Aunt Julia was. You're still in the swamp, but that's close. There's another region that's, that's much more... Uh, specific in terms of where where Julia Brown um, and her makeshift grave site is located. Give me a second. I'm going to tell you exactly where. Um, Julia Brown was also born in Nashville, Tennessee, by the way, if you all didn't know that. And she was freed in 1853. But it was not until 1866 that Mrs. Brown came to Oberlin to live. And she made her home at South Pleasant and Groveland until six years ago. Uh, No, this ain't her. Uh Uh-uh. Wrong story, y'all. I don't know who wrote that. That's not her. That's not her. Y'all got to be careful about some of the information that's input about who do root work conjure, locations, history. Sometimes it's not right. Um, you want to go to the Manshack Swamp, Neophyte Bokor. And, and I'm sure to some degree it might extend underneath the, the underpass, but we weren't anywhere near the underpass in terms of where we filmed. And there's a little utility road. There's an off-road there that you can park, even in the 18-wheeler, that you can park. And then there's a walkway, a natural walkway that goes back into the swamp. Now, sometimes you got to travel through a foot of mud to bring wading boots 
or, or garbage bags to tie to your leg, but um, then you walk back into the, into the swamp. Uh, and it's at the Man Shack. The Man Shack is about an, a half hour northwest of New Orleans. Um, and the towns, uh, Napton, Frenier, Ruddick, were the towns that were destroyed during the great hurricane that many tried to accuse her of sort of drawing in to destroy the town or destroy the city. So um, if you get a chance to go back to that area again, and by the way, I don't really appreciate hearing that you were in that area this close to my house and you didn't come here, but that's another, another conversation. (laughs) But you want to take highway 55, highway 55. In fact, once you cross, um, Joyce, uh, Joyce Wildlife Management Area, Acres, Louisiana. You're really in the Manchac Swamp at that point. Um, you have Lake Maripass on one side. You have Lake Pontchartrain um, on the other side. And so Ruddock, if I'm not mistaken, is the only town that might still exist, at least in name. I don't think there's really... Uh, officially anything there, but there's a, a side road, a utility road, if you will, right, right in that area that we take and walk into the, into the swamp to sort of access that. Uh, many people come here and take the, um, the swamp tours, and some of the swamp tours take you directly <clears throat> Uh, to that location. Uh, give me a second. I'm still not quite getting what I need. Yeah. Okay. So you want to take 55. I'm going to tell you exactly where to go. 55. Okay. I, I get it now. You say you were under the underpass. You were there, but you weren't there. Because 55 crosses 51. So there, there is elevated highway right there. In fact, there's one, two, three, at least three elevated highways that intersect in that area with, with Highway 55, 51. Um, if you want to Google it, you want to look up Cajun Pride Swamp Tours. That's probably the only visible structure in that area. If you're at Laplace Travel Center, you've gone too south. Uh, Cajun Pride Swamp Tours is just north of Laplace travel center. Uh, And so Highway 55 crosses over 51. So you want to kind of get down on old 51. Uh, You have Frenier Road and old 51. Uh, That's a convenient place for people to stop. But again, that is right there at the entryway to Cajun Pride Swamp Tours. And they know exactly where it is and they know how to get you to it. But the Frenier Cemetery, um, for the most part, I think you actually have to take a boat to get to it. If not, as I uh, earlier suggested, uh, you got to really wade through some swampy areas. Uh, I know you can't tell on the Travel Channel Atlas of Cursed Places, uh, but we we had uh, we had calf deep mud. We were up to our calves in mud. 
uh, when we filmed that that production. Oracle Sophia, greetings, beloved. I love that picture. I love that lipstick color. Girl, you working it. <laughs> I like that picture. Yes, greetings, greetings. She says, I have found that whatever triggers me has been what is in my shadow. Yes. Gives us an amazing clue to what we are hiding there. That's right. That's right. And people think, you know, healing means, oh, I don't think about it anymore. I don't feel it. Oh, that was 30 years ago. I don't need, that's not healing. That's not healing. That's tucking the old dress, the old sewing machine, the old utilities in, in a box, in a closet, and storing it away. And just like your attic and your dark closet, at some point, somebody got to deal with the hoard, or you have to deal with the hoard. And it and it will rise up, as Sophia said. It'll rise up as those triggers. And so, uh, for my new listeners, those who are just joining in, uh, earlier in the show, I, I gave five affirmations. When you wake up in the morning, before you open your eyes, if that's possible, if your kids ain't woke you up and your spouse ain't woke you up, and just wake up naturally. And the first thing before you open your eyes, how do I feel? How do I feel? Do I love life? Do I love life? Am I happy to be here? Am I happy to be here? And then these two powerful questions, because they do the work, are the ancestors still with you? And is God still in The ancestors exist in your blood, so they have to be with you. They have to. And some of you want to cut away those problematic people that are in your blood. They're in your blood. So the ancestors are always with you. So let the ancestors box them. Let the ancestors handle them. And is God still in control? That's how, that's my shadow work barometer. That's how I determine do I and to what degree. And then you go back, and, and, and if your answers aren't all the affirmative, then you, you ask why. How do I feel? So I feel this. I feel that. I feel the other. That's your shadow work. And, and the deeper you excavate that, the freer you become, the more joy you're able to contain, the more happiness you're able to receive, the more love you're able to accept. Thank you. Kayla, talk. Greetings, beloved. Greetings, greetings. I just love it when my godchildren show up because y'all be serious about, about the work. Yes, our neophyte vocor. Greatly appreciate the love. It definitely manifested. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, I'm going to be closing out soon. I'm just trying to clear up my chat right now. Okay, he got the audio book. Okay, great. That's the Yana Van Zant. Uh, in the meantime, you got the audio book? That's great. Yeah, she does have it on audio. Thank you, Craig Burns. Uh, I do it for you and, and for others. I really do. Thank you, Divine Self-Healing. Yeah, it was Craigslist. Uh, beloved, look on Craigslist. You'd be surprised. I, I know people say, oh, you can't trust Craigslist, but do your homework. Call ahead. Ask questions. Contact me, and I'll go and look at the place. I'll go find out if the people there is legitimate. Just do your homework and make that move. And make that move. Uh, 
Yes, Neophyte Bokur says about the South, there's nothing to fear. It's amazing. The energy alone is refreshing, and it just feels like home. And let me be clear. Let me be clear. No offense to my New Orleans. My number one favorite city in America is New York City. I can't afford to live there. I can't afford to live there. (laughs) And the lifestyle that I live could not be duplicated there. Now, if I'm blessed to hit the Powerball, you know, I'm going to buy property in Manhattan. And I'm going to come and visit, you know, and shop during the warmer months. You know, I am the spiritual godparent for the International House of LaBeja, LaBeja forever. So I spend a lot of time in New York City, but home is New Orleans. Home is Louisiana and Mississippi. Home is Louisiana and Mississippi. Danette Gibbs says New Orleans is her second home. Yes, it is. And Danette likes to pop up unannounced. (laughs) I love Danette Gibbs, but Danette will show up unannounced. I'm here. I'm on the highway. I'm almost there. And every time I say what, beloved? Girlfriend, email me and let me know you coming. Email me and establish an appointment. I'll be glad to come out and hug your neck, Miss Danette Gibbs. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Jody Net, uh, Netta, peace and blessings, beloved. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. I'm glad that people are gaining something from the show, and I'm not just talking and being entertaining. And there's nothing wrong with talking and being entertaining. You know, Big Sister just came up on talking and being entertaining. Uh, but, but I also want to feed the soul, feed the spirit, feed the community, Create a reality that mirrors our best interests. Create a reality that mirrors the best interests of your children and your grandchildren and the peers of your children. I often have to say the peers of your children because some of you think, I just got to focus on me and mine. That ain't uh-uh, uh-uh, unless you live on a tiny island with no other children. Children affect your children. Children teach your children what they're taught at home. Your, teach, your children teach their friends what they're taught at home. And often it's that one wise child, that one smart child that keeps the rest of the kids out of danger. I was that kid, despite all the madness in my childhood, that no parent, no parent had a problem with me being in their house, male or female. I can go to my god sister's house and some of my female friend's house without any parents home. They trusted me. They knew I was not a problem. So you've got to be careful about saying, oh, I'm just concerned about me and mine. No, you need to be concerned about who your children are friends with. You need to be concerned about the parenting of your friends. I know in the suburbs, that's what we do. You know, you want to go spend the night, and well, I got to meet the parents, and I got to know what the family is like. And, you know, do we still do that? Is that no longer in the Black Code book? I still need that book now. <laughs> Neophyte Bokor, who do we call ism? Send me the latest edition of the Black Code, code book because I'm not sure what our code is anymore. We got black people who got who bought into this whole Q nonsense. I'm confused about what's black anymore. Well, where are we in this? How? How, beloved? I'm talking to my cousin. How do you end up being a follower of Q? And Donald Trump. I, I, I just don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. 
And I don't want to hear anything about Michelle Obama being a man. I'll slap you in the mouth. I don't want to hear anything about Hillary Clinton drinking blood and, and using baby faces, you know, for facial man. I, I, don't come at me with that. Don't, I, I'm keeping a list and checking it twice. I, I've blocked uh, at least a dozen people on Instagram just because they, they look like they might want to support you. Now, do, what you do on your page is your business, but don't come to mind with it. Don't comment on my post with it. And some of you have been quietly restricted. You don't even know. You, you, you've been restricted, and I'm validating everything that you might post. And I'm checking. And once you wave that Q flag, it's a wrap. You and I are done. It's a wrap. Now, you might say, oh, that's aggressive. White supremacy is aggressive. Racism is aggressive. And Q is a tool of white supremacy and racism. So I'm not having it from anybody Latinx, Black, Asian. I ain't trying to hear it. I ain't trying to hear it. There's certain things that we have come to expect from mainstream society, unfortunately. And we've got to stop expecting that and accepting that. But within my community, no, no, no. No more than we would allow a child to continue to misspell or continue to mispronounce, especially in a city like New Orleans. You better know how to say melaton <laughs> in New Orleans, okay? You better know how to speak and pronounce these French words appropriately. You better know what Chapatulis is. So we would correct we would correct a child or an adult. No, baby, we, it's not Tutu is Chapatulis. We would correct. So no, it ain't, there's no room for the pew nonsense, you know, here. My social media is a dictatorship. I determine the message that's going to be projected from my profile. So I'm, I'm blocking all cues. And if you're a cue, just go on and put a cue in the chat and, and give us an opportunity to know who you are. Yes, uh, Neophyte Boku, you actually was here and didn't stop in my house? Seriously? That's not cute. I don't appreciate that. Don't, you know, I got another friend from Michigan, came down here, had a nerd to email me and ask him where his, he and his wife could go and eat and, 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 and enjoy the casino. I never did respond. We still friends. <laughs> But I never did respond. I find that to be so disrespectful. If y'all coming down here, first of all, Bourbon Street, that's unacceptable. That's unacceptable. And I want you all to know, that's not New Orleans, local New Orleanians you see in on Bourbon Street. That's the tourists and people coming in from out of town for Carnival and Mardi Gras. People still need and want and love Carnival and Mardi Gras. So those images that y'all are seeing in social media, that ain't locals. Ain't no locals down there in those pictures. Those are tourists. Those are tourists who, who still feel that somehow there's no rules, no restrictions on Bourbon Street. So people go and get drunk and fall out and do all kind of craziness on Bourbon. But now we got this pandemic. So I've had people, I had a couple, you might be listening, from, in, from uh, Italy, showed up at my door on Friday. I told you then, I only work by appointment. It's in big yellow letters on my door. It's in gold on both of my doors. 
by appointment only with my website. So instead of doing that, the wife texts me. Y'all know I don't respond to texts. If you're not Hulu occultism or neophyte bokor or someone that I talk to on a regular basis, uh, um, Arisha, Chef Bougie, I don't respond to those texts. I get over 300 texts and phone calls a day. I don't respond. And if you get a response, it's automatic. I accept questions, comments, requests, RSVP by email. By email. She decided she was going to text me. Can't do that. I don't care how far you travel. I'm on TV. I'm on a travel channel, PBS, Nat Geo. It's a whole bunch of people trying to come in here last minute with no mask, with no hand sanitizer, without the appropriate offering. No. 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 And, and there are people who've been in here during the pandemic. Juan LaFonso was in here <laughs> during the pandemic. But they're willing to follow the rules. They're willing to acknowledge the voodoo. They're willing to acknowledge the protocols. But Neophyte Bokure, no excuse for you to come down here and not see me. That's that's unacceptable, bro. You could have stopped by and brought me a bottle of Florida water or something. I, come on now. <laughs> Greetings, fitness fun girl. Keep doing it. Keep doing it, beloved. Greetings, fitness fun girl. Yeah, I think I'm a little behind on my chat, but it's all good. Uh, uh, univer, uh, univ, Univeral. Yeah. You got it right. You, you got it right. Uh, I, I'm a former minister of music. I came out of the Black Spiritualist Church. Being around 12, we migrated into the evangelical Christian movement, and particularly the Prosperity Church. Yeah, that, that's my former life. And so, and so, yeah, people who know it can see it, can smell it, can detect it. <laughs> yeah, it's there. Thank you. <laughs> it's there. The mind works to protect itself. The goddess initiates reminds us that the mind works to protect itself. And it will take those painful memories and shut them deep up in a closet until you are ready to handle it. Until you are old enough, mature enough, has the appropriate skills or wherewithal to gain access to, then it comes to the surface. Because some of you, okay, you weren't ready for it, but it's here now at 30. It's here now at 40. It's here now at 50. You've you got to deal with it. You've got to deal with it. You have to open that door and face it on your own, or one day that door will open and the mess will tumble out. Thank you, Goddess Initiative. You spoke the truth. She went to New York and never came home. <laughs> yeah, New York, if you if you like New York, if you like the city, it will do that to you. I love New York. I just can't afford it. I just can't afford it, and I can't live the lifestyle there that I would I can live here in New Orleans. <laughs> but yeah, I plan to buy property in Manhattan for sure. And you see how specific I was? Manhattan. Not Queens, not Brooklyn, not Long Island. <laughs> okay, Manhattan. I like New Jersey, but it's going to be Manhattan. Not East Orange. It's going to be Manhattan. <laughs> it's going to be Manhattan. <laughs> yeah. 
Yes. Oh, yes. Uh, if you've watched Pose, if you've watched um, the new TV series Legendary, uh, and if you watched the old document movie, um, Paris is Burning, then, then you've experienced House of LaBasia. You've, you've experienced LaBasia. So back in the 80s, well, first of all, House of LaBasia was created in 1969 by Crystal LaBasia. So She's a little bit older than me. I wasn't born in, I was born in 66. So I didn't get into the ballroom scene. I didn't get into New York until I was 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, in that age range. Um, And unfortunately, if if you understand history and your timing, that also coincides with HIV AIDS. And so AIDS almost decimated that community in the 80s. And so, it, 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 you know, you had the classic uh, ballroom culture, classic house music um, culture, and then it sort of died down for just a little bit through the mid-'80s and into the 90s. And then it rose up again. And it's sort of having a, a new rebirth now with Pose and Legendary. It's having a, a greater sense of a rebirth. And... LaBasia has always been international, but particularly now, LaBasia is international. So you've got LaBasia in Italy, you've got LaBasia in Mexico, uh, you've got um, LaBasia in Paris, and of course you've got LaBasia now in the southern region. Uh, Tosh LaBasia is the, the universal mother, if you will, for the southern region um, of the House of LaBasia. So I came in as, as a spiritual godparent under Tosh LaBasia. But you can't be a LaBasia without being validated by the New York house. So I've been validated by Crystal LaBasia and Kitty Litter LaBasia and and, and some of the others. Um, And we're now developing ballroom scene here in New Orleans and, and of course, the southern region. So that's how I got into House of LaBasia and particularly representing LaBasia at this age. Um, and for those who don't already know, I- I'm still non-binary gender-defining, but sometimes I'm this, sometimes I'm not. Sometimes I'm cover girl 420, you know, and other times I'm this. And, it, and it's often governed by what I'm doing. You know, I've done slave movies, underground, roots for TV. Um, I did uh, um, One Night in Miami, uh, the new Regina King movie about Malcolm X and um and um and 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 uh Muhammad Ali and and the Nation of Islam, you know. So if you haven't seen that movie yet, One Night in Miami, please go look at it. I'm all up in it. I got a short clip of it on my uh Instagram page. Um so don't be fooled by this. But indeed, you know, you gotta be fabulous to be LaBasia. <laughs> You have to have talent to be LaBasia. You have to be the best in your field, in your lane, to be a member of LaBasia. But I'm grateful to be accepted uh, into the House of LaBasia. I'm grateful for the opportunity to share and teach ATR, traditional African-based religious systems, spirituality and religion, you know, to this community that's given so much to the world and so much to the community, and I'm grateful to, to be there. I'm honored that LaBasia um, is very aware of health, wellness, 
addiction therapy, uh, helping people to address their shadow work. So, so LeBeige is not just about being cute and bogging the floor, you know, and, and, and winning in your category. But it's also about the lives behind the members of LaBeja. The lives of these young people, five gendered people who are often not accepted in society, who have often not been protect, protected in society. Many of us, as I was, on the streets at a very young age trying to find our way, and these houses became our family. I was godparented by drag queens and divas and and key girls back in the day, they kept me fed. They kept me off the streets. They kept me out of prison. They kept me out of trouble. And so, again, it's a great honor to be able to give that back, to be a support, to, to provide a safe shelter for someone who might not have anywhere to go. Um, and I'm very close walking distance to Covenant House. And so I see a lot of young people 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, in Congo Square during the day because Congo Square sits right next to Covenant House. And so they don't have a job at 15. Where are they going to get hired? What what they going to do? And so often they have nowhere to go, no real mentors to sort of guide them along and, and speak to them. So I'm grateful. I'm eternally grateful for, for the House of LaBeja. LaBeja saved me when I need saving. And, and now I'm present to save who might need to be saved, who might need help, who might need assistance, who might need guidance. And I'm still going to be at the ball. <laughs> so it's just know it's coming, beloved. I'm still going to be at the ball. And don't challenge me. I might give you a little face in vogue. <laughs> yes, indeed. I'm going to end soon, y'all. I know I said that 20 minutes ago. But I'm still trying to catch up in my chat. Uh, Uni Universal, I, I see you. Univero, please forgive me. I, I, sometimes I, I, my pronunciation on these names ain't right. But but I see you. I think I responded, and maybe I'm just delayed in my in my chat. Yes, uh, the Goddess Initiative. That's exactly what the post is about. Uh, and if you look at the post. Um, yeah, I'm 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 pretty clear. <laughs> I'm pretty clear. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I, that's exactly what the post is about. It's about Q, and not particularly uh, Q itself, or the uh, you know avowed white supremacists who latched on the Q, but more importantly, us, my people. You know that that's what this post is about. No Q foolishness allowed. No Q foolishness allowed. Do you see that? Respect the voodoo. The voodoo is real. Q is not. So if you don't like any of my posts, just leave and block me. But don't reveal your confused Q status on my post. I certainly will block you. And, yes, I've had to block a few people. Yeah, I've had a few people respond and leave some questionable uh, comments. I even listed some people, not their full name, not even exactly their real username, but their real name so that they know who they are. <laughs> so, Gerald S., you've been blocked. Laura C., you have a Hispanic last name, you've been blocked. Larry F., you've been blocked. 
not because of what you believe or don't believe, because you because you brought that Q nonsense to my page. So yeah, there's no Q in my social media at all. You might as well say I'm a racist and, and wave a flag. There's no Q on my page. And I invite you if you if you didn't see it, Vice TV did a very powerful three part series. What is Q? It was very good. It was very good. And I think some of you still don't understand what Q is, don't understand how Q attempted to infiltrate BLM. That's why they say BLM instead of Black Lives Matter, because they can't say Black Lives out of their mouth. They say BLM. Uh, they, they attempted to uh, infiltrate the, the Black Power Movement. If you remember the protests, Breonna Taylor and the misfire, Q was all up and through that. It's in this documentary. Q felt that, you know, here you got these black men, black women carrying weapons. We can sort of meet in the middle of a gun rights. See, remember the, the, the conservative right, racist Republicans, everything is about gun rights. So they use that as a mask to infiltrate you all's units. Just like with poverty, it's black poverty and it's white poverty. They use poverty as a way of sort of uh, infiltrating, just like COINTEL, infiltrating our groups, our movements, and our organizations. But Q has nothing to do with us. Trump has nothing to do with us. Don't care anything about us. So, yeah, I'm decidedly uh, anti-Q madness. Uh, thank you, Uni Univeral. I am decidedly anti-Q madness. Absolutely. No Q allowed. No Q allowed. Because, see, if you're a rational person and we can discuss and we can, you know, th- then you're not a Q, really. And, and it don't take but one Google. It don't take but one search. It don't take for you to open your eyes and be sensible to know that Michelle Obama ain't a man. See, I keep going back to that because it's real easy for them. Oh, it's about gun rights. It's about poverty. It's a, no, 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 no. Q said Michelle Obama was a transsexual. Q produced that ugly ass photograph of Barack Obama hugged up to a, a Michelle looking teen boy. That, that's Q. And many of you laughed at it. Many of you reshared it. I'm talking about my people now. Because you don't have an understanding of what Q is. And many of you are young. That's not a judgment. You're young. And what I mean by that is you don't understand COINTEL. Google and do some research on COINTEL Pro, co-intelligence program that was governed by by the U.S. uh, FBI and their desire to infiltrate black movements like the Nation of Islam. They had everything to do with Malcolm X, like Dr. King. They had everything to do with what happened to Dr. King. Then you better understand why people of my age and my ilk have such a problem with Q. It's it's a complete manipulation. It's a complete manipulation, ultimately, where we lose in the long run. Now, some of you separated yourselves from January 6th. Oh, that's the Capitol. That's them. That's not our fight. No, that was all about us. The vote was all about us. The vote in Georgia was all about us. Regaining control was all about black people and and, and preventing black people from 
voting or, and moving forward. So it was everything about us. Also, many of you have already made this comparison. What if Black Lives Matter had decided to do that? The National Guard would have already been present. Civil war would have been on us, on our heads, if Black Lives Matter had done that. So it's all about us. What happened at the Capitol has everything to do with black people and our empowerment and those who would seek to disempower us in America. So, yeah, Q is very problematic for me. And, and as usual, I was early on figuring out what was going on, and y'all just didn't want to hear me. Neophyte Bokur, uh, Chef Bougie, some of you, uh, um, Arisha, y- y'all know, y'all know I've been talking about this since December 19. Y'all know that. But the language, Antifa and Q and all, these, QAnon, these are all new words basically de- designed to confuse us. I didn't know what an Antifa was really until about a month ago. And I, and I started doing some research. What the hell is Antifa? You know, and why do they keep using that as a counterpoint to, uh, to Ananon? You know, to QAnon, I mean. You know, I, I had to do the research. And listen, beloved, um, you know who you are. I wasn't being offensive. I'm smarter than you. I'm smarter than you. She asked me, am I just in disbelief about, you know, satanic worship and and eating babies and, 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 and Michelle Obama being a, yeah, I'm just smarter than you. No, I'm not in disbelief. I'm in smart. I'm smarter than you. I'm more educated than you. I got more common sense than you. And so if that's offensive to you, we got an education problem in America. We've been knowing that for 50 years. Americans aren't that bright. We're not that bright. We are entitled we are privileged. We got access to a whole bunch of stuff that people in other countries and other parts of the world have to struggle for. But we're not that intelligent. Look at the numbers. We ain't that bright. Math, science, English, we're not that bright. And we cover it up with all kind of glossy, we're not that bright. So when you start trying to figure out politics, figure out math and science, you know, like, like with this pandemic thing, every, every American is a scientist all of a sudden. Every American is a, is a qualified medical professional all of a sudden when it comes to this pandemic. So, see, that's the foolishness of white supremacy, which trickles down to us. And as black Americans, we are entitled. We are entitled. And if you're not black American, and you can't say that to yourself, you don't get it. You don't get it. Look at Haiti. Look at Jamaica. We are entitled. We don't have to do, or we can do. We can call for, we can have delivered. We are entitled. But education is not an entitlement. It should be an entitlement. Education should be mandatory. Education should be available to everybody. Equal and freely, but it is not. And and you same people would agree with me and say, yeah, it's not equal. It's not fair. It's not balanced. But yet, when it comes time to make sense of something like science, <laughs> we think we're all 
operating from a, a master's and doctorate degree level of, of knowledge and education. I use Grammarly. Do y'all use Grammarly? And you get those reports every week? I'm often 90% more accurate than everybody who's using Grammarly. I use 80% more diversity of words than many people who use Grammarly. I thank God for my mother. I thank God for my mother. My mother demanded we go to the library every week. My mom demanded we have two sets of encyclopedias and read them, study them, and write book reports. My mama didn't spend the whole summer barbecuing. We had to do math. We had to do science. We had to go to the Smithsonian Institute. Every location, the Science Museum, the Natural History Museum, the zoo, expose your kids to the world, especially if you're in the hood. Expose your kids to the world. I don't don't care where you live. It's a free day at those museums where you live. Find out what the free day is for the zoo. Find out what the free day is for the various museums, the various theaters, the various playhouses. Expose your children to knowledge and information. That's why I'm Q-proof. And I'm shocked and amazed at how obvious the foolishness is or is not to many of you, how, how do you buy into that? How do you buy into Michelle Obama as a man? Yeah, uh, Neophyte Bokor slapped you with the, with the front and the back of both of my hands. Don't say that shit around me. Don't say that around me. Because, because first of all, it's a slant to the transsexual community. You, you call a real woman a tranny, you're trying to be disrespectful. To both groups. But y'all thought that was funny. I never reshared that photo, ever, ever. And when I found it on many of your pages, I, I dropped you. And if you were egregious, I blocked you. So, no, I'm, I'm anti Q all the way around, and especially in my neighborhood, especially in my community. Yeah, she, yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, I, I see your hoodoo occultism. <laughs> yeah, yes, indeed. Thank you, Neophyte Bokur. Don't you ever come this close to New Orleans and not come see me, <laughs> okay? Don't you ever, <laughs> okay? Um, thank you, Univ uh, Univero. But are you aware that they've nominated Black Lives Matter for uh, Nobel Peace Prize? They've nominated uh, Stacey Abrams for Nobel Peace Prize, and I, I honor and acknowledge those people. I do. And all the work, hard work that they've done. I'm going to be blessed. I'm going to have mine. I'm going to have my daytime show. Just know it's coming. Okay? I'm going to be blessed. I, I'm, I'm already set in, in that regard. Um, I just want to make a change. I just want to plant a seed. I just want to grow some trees that I know will live on to represent authentic ATR, traditional African-based religious systems, um, as well as uh, voodoo, hoodoo, conjure, root work, but from an authentic perspective. Yeah, uh, Chef Bougie says Manhattan is definitely the spot. He really wants to move there, but like I said, the money, the money, the money. 
<laughs> but the vibe is beautiful. <laughs> yeah, but the money, the money, the money. Because I would have to, I would have to have a place, a, a brownstone, you know, one of them nice Wendy Williams condos, you know, way up high, with with windows all around. I, I would have to really live, and then I would lease it out when I'm not there, you know, and come back to New Orleans and check on my garden and whatnot. But yeah. Yes, please check out One Night in Miami. One Night in Miami, produced, directed uh, by uh, Regina King. I'm the FOI in that movie. I'm one of the Nation of Islam, Fathers of Islam in that movie. Yes, uh, Univero, every kid needs a mentor. But even when those parents are not mentored well, there are lots of Oh, okay, I got you. Uh, but even, even let me say that again. Every kid needs a mentor. Yes, but even those with parents are not mentored well. Yes, yeah, that's what I said. We often judge and are critical of the single mother. I hate that. First of all, single mothers don't choose to be single. They didn't ask to be single parented, you know, and it doesn't make them bad or negative. They've been demonized in, in our culture and society. And many of the things that they try to say, oh, well, if you come from a single parent household, you, you're much more likely to do drugs. You're much more likely to go to jail. You're much more likely this and much more likely that. And that's not true. And there are just as many, if not more, problematic people like me coming out of dual-headed households, households where both parents were there. But both parents were not, both parents were not in their right mind. And so we, we, we've got to stop that and understand that mentoring should be universal, <laughs> just like your name. Mentoring should be universal. And there should be mentors, elders available at every stratosphere of society so that people can um, have some connection to wisdom and that which came before. Yes, I, I've been on Fitness uh, Girl Fund's channel too. She she working it. That's why I said, girl, you better keep working it. Fitness Girl Fund, you better work it. Yeah, I love Michelle Obama. I love Michelle Obama. And I'd hit you as if Michelle Obama was my sister. Don't 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 come around me with talking bad about Michelle Obama. I'm I'm not having it. I'm not having it. <laughs> Chef Bougie says the Capitol was all about us because we get our way when people of color vote and they can't stop it. P. Anderson, we wouldn't have even made it into the Capitol had Black Lives Matter attempted that. Craig Burns says that money is the educational divide in the UK, just like America. And I'm going to take it a step further. Anywhere there's white supremacy, Craig Burns, you're going to find money is the educational divide. Anywhere you find there's white supremacy. Greetings, greetings, Khalifa. Yes. Thank you so much. Okay, um, Univ- Univeral. I'm listen, I'm really happy to hear you're from Africa. That that does something to me emotionally. Um I talk about it on this show a lot. Um while I'm broadcasting here, 
I'm simultaneously uh, broadcasting by way of blog talk radio. And so we have an audience in Africa. And I often don't know who, who those people are. Um, right now, we're being listened to from South Africa, from Kenya, from Ethiopia, from Egypt, from Morocco, from Ghana, from Niger, from Nigeria, and from Cameroon. And I'm able to see it in the updates that come with my blog talk radio. So, so I'm grateful. We as African Americans have also uh, either went along with the white man and demonized Africa or have gone in the exact reverse and have sort of romanced, romanticized Africa. And so many of us are completely disconnected from what goes on in Africa. I'm not. I use my Skype and my Badu and my high five social network to communicate with people in other countries every day, every day, every day. I know what's going on in Ghana. I know what's going on in Nigeria from the street level, from the political level, from the grassroots level. Um, so I'm grateful. I also think that many black Americans, African Americans assume that if you're African or born in Africa, that you understand the history and they don't get that white supremacy has affected Africa, just like it has affected here. And so one of the first questions that I asked the Nigerian, the Cameroonian, the Ghanaian is, how much do you know about the Middle Passage? That's usually my first or second question. How much do you know about slavery and the Middle Passage? You'd be surprised how many don't want to talk about it because they can't talk about it or don't have a real understanding of it or don't have a real history of it. I'm talking about 2021. So I'm grateful for your honesty. Um, Univero, I'm grateful for your honesty. Uh, that's important. Uh, Univero also says there's no library in, in his small town or her small town. I'm not sure which. Uh, Univero says there's no library in the small town where they are from in Africa. Just like there's no library in some small towns in Alabama, some small towns in Mississippi. So they are just as disconnected sometimes from the history, from the truth as we are. As we are. So that coming together has to be a mutual thing. There has to be some forgiving. There has to be some sensibility. There has to be some empathy for our brothers and sisters around the world in the Pan-African, uh, Trans-African diaspora. And we cannot assume that everybody knows and understands where we are. Also for the African-American, we tend to have tunnel vision on slavery. And so we only understand history and, and being in America and being black from that prism of, of, of passing it through slavery. And so if you don't educate yourself about other parts of the world, other ethnic groups, other black cultures around the world, then your tunnel vision becomes a limitation to growth and expanding. Africans do have a different relationship with white people than we do. Not a good one. Just a different one, just a different one. And, and they were manipulated and, and moved around like chess pieces on the board, you know, much the way we are here. And so we've got to be careful about showing love, especially to our African brothers and sisters, especially to our African-American brothers and sisters, and particularly for those who lack knowledge, who lack this awareness. 
and are only doing what they see everybody else doing. Church, evangelical Christianity, Catholicism, politics, and dirty politics. So I'm grateful for you saying that. I'm grateful for you sharing that with us. And know that we're here for you, beloved. Know that we're here for you. Yeah, um, okay, now uh, Univero is taking it a step further. Uh, He spoke to Chef Bougie about not worrying about money. And then he spoke to me about thinking about getting um, 500 U.S. to buy farmland. And, and, and to assist or even create and build a village. Now, as you may know, beloved, and you can find it right here on YouTube, it's a lot of us already there. I don't know exactly where you are, but we're already in Nigeria. It's African-Americans already in Ghana. It's African-Americans already in Cameroon and, and many other, uh, Cote d'Ivoire, many other regions. We're already there. Um, so, so, yes. I support that idea. I agree with that idea. Uh, and, and if I'm blessed so much beyond this pandemic, um, I'm already narrowing sort of my scope to Benin, Togo and Benin. Uh, one, because of religion. We got to keep voodoo alive. We got to keep voodoo alive. So those are my primary targets. Um I have a friendly relationship with Nigeria and a great degree of Nigerians uh, from Ile Ife to Osogbo land. Um, and, and I have a great degree of uh, connection with, um, with Ghana. Uh, I, I have someone in Ghana that wants to be my partner. Um, so it's an idea. Um, but know that if it was somebody like you, for instance, you had to have a real face and a real name. You'd have to be doing more than just this purple you uh, and a username. But I, but I understand the idea. I understand the idea. Yeah, it would be very cheap. I, I know someone who built a house, a huge house, a six-bedroom house from the ground up uh, in Ghana for less than $40,000. But then you all have that, that land lease situation. Uh, where over here, you know, you buy your house, you buy your land, it's yours, and then you transfer it to who you will. Uh, in many places, you all have that land lease situation, and so you, you can lease the land for 50 years, but at some point, it goes right back to the village. It goes right back to um, to the uh, uh, the country in which you built and purchased your house. Uh, Craig Burns, I don't know if you're talking to the chat, but I I knew you were white. I knew you were white months ago. Um, I, I knew that, but I, but like you said, I don't think it changes anything about uh, the class system. You know, black, white, Asian, Hispanic. Money determines education in America. Money determines who's educated, to what degree, and, and how easily or not you get your foot in the door. We just had a Hollywood scandal of people buying their way into uh, major universities. Uh, but your your race was irrelevant. I knew you were white, and I'm sure many other people in the in the room knew that. But but you always say appropriate things. You always say important things. You always ask questions. So it doesn't matter to me. 
It doesn't matter to me. Now, the minute the Q shows up in the room, we're going to have a problem. <laughs> the minute the racists show up in the room, then we're going to have a problem. <laughs> but, yeah, being poor is a universal problem. Not having access to it and privilege is a universal problem. Absolutely. But it is governed by white supremacy. Understand that. It is driven by white supremacy. Understand that. And the poorest white in the UK, the poorest white in the US still has a greater degree of entitlement than I do, than my sister and my brother does. And and that's what we don't quite get about white supremacy and racism. And I'm going to use America as an example. The white person that says, well, I didn't own slaves and my grandmama didn't own slaves, but you benefited from the slave system. You benefited from a culture and a society that owned slaves, that thought it was acceptable to dehumanize and, and denigrate people of other hues and, and ethnicities. So the unfortunate thing, Craig Burns, is white supremacy and racism is still your responsibility, not mine. And that's been part of the problem. Black people can't fix white supremacy. Black people can't fix racism. You can you can. And so you've got to talk to your mom and your daddy, your uncles, your aunts, your friends that, that are demonstrating entitlement, your friends that are demonstrating white supremacy. You have an obligation, just like we have an obligation. But, but that's the, un, the, the, the unfair reality. White supremacy affects us all, and particularly, particularly white folks. So we think white supremacy hurts black folks the most and keeps us blocked and keeps us down, but it hurts white people the most, the most. And so until white people decide we're going to fix this, heal this, get rid of this, you're not going to be that around me. You're not going to be that in my family. You're not going to bring that into my workspace. Only then can we see real change in the world. I have white friends who don't. Let me be more specific. I have white friends, white associates, that only post cats and dogs in their feed. That only post pretty pictures in their feed. All the while, the conversation about racism and white supremacy is swirling all around them. Before them, after them, from me, from their friends, and then they post in cats, dogs, birds, butterflies. Okay, that's cute. That's cute. But it also represents a level of denial. It also represents a level of disconnection. It also represents, well, if I just stay quiet and I stay out the fray and let them work it out, things will improve. No, it won't. No, it won't. And as soon as that person, that poor person posting the cats and the dogs, make their way to the local market, the gas station, the bank, she's going to cut the line in front of me. And they're going to allow it. I'm talking about my reality. I have stood at the counter looking just like this and had the black cashier, the white cashier, the Hispanic cashier say, can I help you, ma'am? Can I help you, sir? And I'm like, am I invisible? Out loud, am am I invisible? Only to have them still not respond. Still not see my humanity. 
So the unfortunate truth, Craig Burns, is it affects everybody. Everybody. And you have more responsibility of addressing white supremacy than I do. Than I do. I can't fix white supremacy. I can't fix racism. I, black people can't. And that's been the problem. We can fix us and change how we feel and how we operate in it and how we get along in it, but it continues to survive as long as grandma, granddaddy, mom, dad, brother, sister, uncle, aunt, cousin accept it. And you might, well, it's not me, I'm not, but, but your uncle passed down a, a million dollars or the inherited property gets passed down. Nobody says, oh, no, I'm not taking that property. You accept it. No one says, oh, no, you're not going to, you know, treat me like an entitlement. Wait on her first. That's, that's happened maybe one or two times in my entire life. Have I had someone say, wait a minute, he was here first. He was here first. And so it takes people like you to say, wait a minute, they were here first. They were here first. The Africans were here first. It takes somebody with your fortitude, your integrity to do that and to do that regularly and say, oh, no, you can't treat them like that. Oh, no, we're not going to sit over here on our privilege while you treat that segment of our society differently. That's what our Republicans are doing right now, right now. We don't care that they're struggling through the pandemic, black or white or Hispanic or Asian. We don't care that they need money and resources right now. Let's just deal with this real deep political stuff while they go back home to their mansion and they high rise. And my friend that's the cat lady and my friends that only post cute paintings and pictures sit back quietly. And your excuse is, oh, I don't want all the negative. Okay, then stay off social media. Oh, I don't want to see the news. That's one of my pet peeves. I'm sick of people saying, oh, I don't watch the news. I ain't got no TV. But you on the internet right now talking to me. You got email. I know in my, in my Yahoo, news show up every day. I know in, in certain apps in my device, as soon as you turn it on, it, the news is there first. Stop, stop telling me I don't watch the news. I don't watch TV. You are just as guilty as being a non-participant as the white person who benefits from racism and white supremacy who don't watch TV, who don't get involved, who, who don't participate. So we all have an obligation. We do. We all have a responsibility. We do. Um, I don't know if that was a compliment. I don't know if that was a compliment or, or, or shade. <laughs> Craig, Craig Burns, um, you're far too intelligent to be a bigot. You know, they said when, when Barack Obama won the presidency, they, oh, he's just so far too intelligent and articulate. That's racist. That's racist. Barack Obama was just so articulate as if black people are articulate. As if I'm somehow a standout from the rest of the group. That's one way of interpreting what you said. The other way I might interpret what you said is the idea that I said poverty, racism, white supremacy is a white, is a white person's problem. That's fact. That's fact. 
We didn't create the slave trade. We didn't create colonizing. We didn't send missionaries out in the world to convert anybody. That's a white problem. The, the, The trick is to make it look like it's a black problem. If they would just fix themselves, if they would just educate themselves, if they were just as intelligent as divine princes, then we wouldn't have this problem. No, the problem is white people who remain silent in the face of white supremacy. The problem is white, white people who think, oh, I might live in England, I might live in the UK, but I don't have anything to do with what the Queen's doing over there. Yes, you do. And you're paying your, your taxes to her and to, and to that government. So, so that's the problem. That's the problem. And I, and I realize we're not all politicians. We're not all called to be activists. We're not all warriors and go run out in the street. But we, every single one of us has an obligation and a responsibility to address this problem. I do it my way, spirituality, religion. This is my format. I'm grateful for my format. If I'm never on daytime TV with my own show, which I know I'll have, because <laughs> T.S. just got her, so I know mine is coming. Um, but if I never have that, I'm cool. I'm cool right here. So far, I ain't had no problems with YouTube, but I'm cool right here. As long as my mouth is open, as long as I'm actively working in the healing, working in the repair, working in the fix. I'm also involved politically. I just don't talk about it a lot. I'm on boards. I'm on committees, particularly right now where everything is virtual. I sit on the city council and, and on many other aspects of our of our society. And as a celebrity reader, I talk to a lot of really important people every day. So just because you can't see it don't mean it's happening. I'm just making sure that you move away from this conversation understanding that it's a white problem and that you might be a, a book writer, you might be an author, you might be a painter. You might be a creator, but you have an obligation to affect change, and particularly from your relatives who might still be operating in that in that vein. Greetings, Beverly McFadden, Ashe, beloved. Yes, so am I. <laughs> I'm probably the youngest person on my block. <laughs> yeah, so I, a lot of my friends, my best friends are. 60, 67, 70, 75. My mom is 78, and she don't look a day over 50. So, uh, yeah, a lot of my friends are older, and those older people um, have an opportunity to uh, to affect generations. Uh, Uni, Univero, I need you to email me or contact me off-site in social media. I really, I don't want you to put it here in the chat. I really like to know where you are and who you are and, and see what we can build together. I also have a desire to connect with Africans on the continent who are 50 and over, particularly, um, because, again, I, I, they have an opportunity to affect change in, in many ways that, that often get overlooked. Um, I, I like to ask questions about what they know about the middle passes, what they know about slavery. I also ask y'all questions about how y'all feel about people like me, transgendered, 
five gendered, non-binary gender defining. And again, many Africans either will not discuss that or have a very limited awareness or knowledge of it. So, yeah, I would, I would love to connect with you off air. Uh, Jody Netta, there was a recent article in which a black officer was not able to be buried in Louisiana because there was an all-white cemetery in 2021. The board members claimed they were not aware. Yeah, not only the board members, but the, the head person, the chair, admitted here on local news that he had never even read the document. I don't find that to be unusual. That's entitlement. <laughs> That's what white entitlement looks like. He, he never read it. He didn't think to read it. And in a small town, I'm just going to assume I could be wrong. Maybe they hadn't been confronted with a black burial before. I find it hard to believe, but it's possible in, in some of these rural areas in Louisiana and Mississippi, but it's true. And again, it speaks to what goes un. Notice untouched, unaddressed, undetected, only live to survive to haunt you another day. And, and that's a good example right there. So that town now has to deal with looking like, you know, the homeland of white supremacy. And now they have to address it. And every board member is going to be held accountable. The story went viral. Every board member, every member of that town, black or white, is going to be held accountable to that happening and why it was allowed to continue up until it was discovered in 2021. Give thanks. Thank you, beloved. So I'm going to move forward. I think I've cleared my chat. It's been a great show. I said I was going to end it an hour ago. <laughs> so I hope y'all are thrilled. <laughs> I have to address my appointments. Uh, my late day appointment for the afternoon. Uh, if you need me, please send me an email, Divine Prince, E-I-V-I-N-E-P-R-I-N-C-E, at houseofthedivineprince.com for your appointment request, for your work request, for your initiation request, for your ancestral work. Please send me an email. You can also visit my website at www dot house of the divine prince dot com and I'll be more than happy to assist you. All is truly and indeed a blessing if you can just see beyond the veil for it's all just an illusion and a test and one of the greatest divine mysteries of this life cycle. Ashe Ashe oh Ashe I'm gonna uh end off with Congo Square. Congo Square. The Omus Indians, the Omus Indians prepared this place for us centuries before our arrival. A sacred spot where corn festivals were celebrated. The almost Indians prepared this place for us. Centuries before our arrival. Congo Square, a sacred spot where corn festivals were celebrated. And as the colonizers came, our host, the almost Indians, 
pushed aside our hosts. The colonizers came and pushed aside our hosts and introduced us in chains. And by the late 1700s, we somehow, recognizing the sacredness of Les Places de Congo, we somehow, and the how of our somehow persuasive methodologies is not clear at this moment. The how is not clear. How our persuasive methodologies worked is not clear at this moment, but nevertheless, even as slaves, we crafted and created a space where we could be free to be we. And thusly, thusly we countered the sacrilegiousness of the French, giving great homage to our ancestors as well as giving praise and thanks to our red-blooded brothers and sisters. This is an oral libation toast to Congo Square, to Native Americans, to our ancestors who made a circle out of a square and gave us a way to stay ourselves Save ourselves from the transformatory ugliness of America, which refuses to recognize the spirituality of life, which refuses to recognize the spirituality of life and celebrates death with crosses and crosses, double and triple crosses, the middle passage, the first cross, Christianity, the double cross, and capitalism, the ultimate triple coup de grace cross of our captivity. But the terror of crosses notwithstanding, we sang, we beat, we be, we was and is. Hail Congo Square. Congo, Congo Square. Our African gods have not been obliterated. They have merely retreated inside the beat of us. Inside the beat of us. Our African gods have not been obliterated. They have merely retreated, retreated inside the beat of us until we are ready to release them into a world that we recreate. A world harrowed by the beat. Be, beat, being, beating, being of black heart drums. Heart beat. Heart beat. Heart beat at this place. At this place. Be heart beat. Be we beating place in new world space. Beating, being in place in new world, preserving our ancient pace. Our dance is the God walk. Our music, the God talk. First thing we do, let's get together. Circle ourselves into community. No beginning, no end. Connected together and singing, ringing, Singing in a ring. Second, let's be original, aboriginal. Be what we were before we 
became what we are. Be Bambula dance. Be Banza music. And sing song words which have no English translation. Third, let us remember. Let us remember never to forget. Even when we can't remember the specifics, we must retain the essentials. Let us remember never to forget. Even when we can't remember the specifics, we must retain the essentials. The bounce, the blood, flow, the feel, the spirit, grow, energy, must retain and pass on the essential us-ness that others want to dissipate without of us. But no matter, no matter how much of us they prohibit, no matter how much of us they prohibit, Deep inside us is us. Deep inside us is us. Remains us inside and needs only the beat to set us free. The beat to free us. It is morning. A sun day. A feel. A feel. Without shade, but dark. Dark with the people black of us in various, various, various shades. Eclipsing the sun with our elegance. We are centuries later now, and still this sacred ground calls us. To remember, to beat, to be. We are centuries later now. And still, this sacred ground calls us. To remember, to beat, to be. Beat Congo Square. Be Congo Square. Beat Be. Beat Be. Congo Square. Beat. 